to the We're Alive Fancast. Mr. Redbeard and Mick. Welcome to the World Live Fancast. Tonight we're having a special last Q&A session with Casey Whalen. I'm Redbeard. And this is Mick. And so, Casey, welcome back to the show. Hi, guys. Yay, the last interview. The last, so this is going to be your last interview for We Are Live. It's definitely the last planned one. Uh, I haven't got any more requests from people, so I'm most likely... Uh, at one, there's got to be at some point where I have to walk away and be like, okay, I gotta, I gotta go into a little bit of a hiatus mode and kind of step back and and start working on something else. So I figured, hey, this is a good good Q and A to leave off on. Well, we definitely have a lot of questions for you tonight. I hope you have some time. I do. I'm really di- loving to dive in and and kind of go all of the the little little tiny things of where live. Sure. Hey, before we get started though, uh, how is time? kind of away from your we're alive grind been or have you gotten away from it yet it's been great i've been doing a lot of gardening um <laughs> i've been getting a lot of stuff done here at the house that i've been like I'm, i I made a to-do list that's like nine things long that's massive massive stuff um but it's nice it's so less stressful um because my normal routine for the last year is every single week i'd be, I'd be ed- either editing or writing um to additional like at least 20 to 30 hours extra a week. So the fact that I don't have that now is it's kind of nice. For some reason all I could do is picture you doing those tasks as you dressed up as ink. <laughs> <laughs> that would be oh man that that uh, uh, that makeup gets everywhere. It really does. Like I just turned in that suit to get dry cleaned and I'm like I'm sorry. There's like makeup all along the inside of the neck and I'm just like I have no idea how it's going to come back when it comes back from the dry cleaners. Yeah, I think I saw that hanging up in the background of the Snark, uh, the Snark Alex interview. Yep, the suit was back there, and I was like, I got to take it to the dry cleaners. Oh, and it was also my birthday last week, so it was a lot of, like, go, go, go. So this is, like, the first week we've had, like, off. It's kind of nice. That is nice. Are you all having a uh, a mild summer over in L.A.? Um, it's, it's been about 80, 85, closer to 90 lately. A lot of... Uh, a lot of heat, but that's California for you. Right, that's nice. Well, we're ready to get into these questions. We've got plenty. Yeah, let's let's jump in. Um, did you? There was one that you're talking about that you emailed me first that I had something pulled up right now. Is the stuff that's hidden in the artwork? Oh, okay. Um, I figured I could because I have them all in front of me now, and I can kind of go through um, as I go. And you know what? I'll send you a link so you can actually view these with me. Great. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, so what he's referring to is I sent him a, a few lead questions so he could see them because I want him to have a chance to think about them before we got on the call tonight. And uh, it's a few different questions about hidden things, but I think particularly right now you're going into, is there anything hidden in the fan art that you would talk to us about? Uh, yeah, well, this isn't the fan art particularly. This is the... Oh, not fan uh, art. I'm sorry. Yeah, album art. That's what I'm uh, yeah, yeah. This is the album art here. Um, just kind of scrolling through. Do you guys have it pulled up? Not quite yet. Here we go. Yeah, it's, it's the feed. Uh, it's the raw feed. You should be able to see it in feed burner. Okay, cool. So scroll down oh, to yeah, the very yeah. bottom. Okay, so okay. the first one, um, all the early artwork was actually me who did all that stuff. It's uh, 
mostly just kind of drawing over stuff that I found as references because we needed to have something for cover art. And that's why it's a little weird and rudimentary. <laughs> um, the uh, the actual, like, first zombie that's the hippie chick um, was supposed to be like, oh, hey, you can have all the peace you want in the world, but it, you're still not going to have... There's nothing stopping you from getting infected. <laughs> um, and that was that my my sister actually modeled that one. Great. And, chapter one: the girl in the peace shirt. Okay. <laughs> yep. And, oh, and the uh, the we're alive. Actually, if you take a look at the banner that's on the tower, that uh, is way before we ever actually see it in the series. Um, so it's not actually on the tower yet in chapter one. But that is supposed to be. That's my handwritten we're alive because. We didn't want to use a font because that way if you use a font, it's copywritten. This way it's like, hey, this is 100% ours. Um, and so that's the very first appearance of the We're Alive uh, logo. Oh, okay. Nice. Uh, let's see here. Uh, chapter 2, going into that, the guy on the left is modeled after a lieutenant I served in the Army with. Uh, I took a picture <laughs> of him and modified it. I uh, hope he doesn't mind, but uh, I won't say who it is just to be safe. The guy on the right, who's supposed to be Saul, same way, was another soldier, a uh, real hard-charged uh, guy that uh, I kind of thought would look good in that position there. And then the guy in the middle was actually uh, modeled after me. That was uh, I took a picture in front of the cross swords in Iraq, and uh, that I was actually holding an AK-47 at the time, and so that was the uh, that was the arc for that one. Just about the ass. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, okay, this is this is real silly and. People are going to think I'm really dumb for this, but that's okay. Uh, I saw mostly these first few pieces of artwork more than most of the other ones. For some reason, my podcatcher used them instead of the other ones you made for most mm -hmm. of the series. And so I had this image of Saul on the right side because for some reason I knew the left one was Angel. I guess because <laughs> he's blonde. Um, yeah. So the right guy was Saul. Well, he looks Caucasian or maybe at, at darkest a light uh, um, Latino. So I thought Saul for so much of the series was Latino until Tanya came around, and I was like, this isn't making sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologize. I, that was one of those things in the beginning I wish I did but didn't do was more description of the characters. I wanted you to figure out who they were kind of by their, by their voice. So it was one of those things where it's like I gave you a little bit with the cover art, and yeah, I could see how you could see that's a little Caucasian. It, I could see it. Right, okay, so... It, Okay, good. Thanks for making me feel better. <laughs> no, no, it definitely could be. I, I, like I said, I just did the art that I could in the beginning. And like, if you notice, as we get to the chapter three art, all the characters of zombies that are in the background, they're all just repeats from... It's the same ones, yeah. It's just a different layer. As you go, like, and then you get to chapter four, there's Michael, the Hummer's been repositioned, and the zombie just changes in the background. Yeah. Uh, it's just really sad. <laughs> By the time, finally, chapter five, I did Lizzie, um, which I modeled after a... Um, uh, I think it was just some. Yeah, you know, I don't remember. It was some sort of artwork from some uh, photo stock or something like that. Because yeah, I had not to just really Courtney Love. No, nah, not really. <laughs> and if you look at her legs, I kind of had to like draw them in and near the bottom, so they're a little bit wonky near, near the feet. But we won't talk about that. Um, but the tower in the background, the tower is not drawn over at all. That's actually a real picture once you get to chapter five. Um, that is kind of what I envisioned the tower sort of to look like a little bit. And that's the basis of the model that you see later on once we get to the real art in Chapter 12. Um, chapter 6, you have a little Eastern Bay back there, which, by the way, I don't know if anybody knows this, but Eastern Bay is actually um, a blending of two prisons in real life, uh, Pelican Bay and Eastern State, which is in uh, Philadelphia or Pennsylvania. I forget which one. I've never noticed oh. that back there. 
Yeah, that's and it's basically uh, kind of modeled off of the old ancient prisons of like kind of like Shawshank Redemption, where they they kind of were very old and and gothic looking and really crazy looking prisons. Right, and that, we're on the back of chapter six. If anybody's following along. Yeah, but unfortunately, there's nothing really like that on the, the West Coast because it would be too too new. We don't really have any old old prisons out here. Um, uh, isn't Folsom Prison out there? Uh, I don't think Folsom Prison's too old, is it? I guess maybe not incredibly old. No, I, I'm now curious. Folsom Prison, good old wiki. Um, Folsom Prison is not like it's not designed like this, the, those old classics, though. Like there, it's more laid out, kind of in a. Oh no, it, Folsom Prison does look kind of like that. It is it is stone? I yeah. You know what? Yeah, I guess that would be a good model. Oh, wow. I've never actually seen Folsom Prison, but that does know, I've make only sense. I've only heard stories about it. Yeah, well, well, obviously Johnny Cass at Folsom Prison Blues. Well, yeah, that's a prime example. I, I'm really digging the mixture of artwork and manipulated photos. That's actually, um, I'm not the only one who does that. The artist uh, who does the, all the main stuff, too, does a lot of photo reference stuff, too. Um, so that was that was kind of his style as well. But I, I will admit, mine, they were just placeholders. And I'd love to go back and replace them, but they've kind of become canon now. So I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, they're, yeah, I'm attached to them. Most of the time, what would end up happening is we'd spend the whole week editing, uh, or I'd spend the whole week editing, especially in the beginning. And then by the time Sunday night rolled around is when I get out the old pen and, and tablet and start drawing it out and doing my best to, like, come up with something last minute. Like, The Road to Living Death, like, Chapter 8, I was like, uh, I don't have time for a new background for Chapter 9, so we'll just kind of throw it back there. And there's an <laughs> overturned bug, and, and I think that's actually a, a street in L.A. that they're supposed to be walking down. To the actual real reference. Oh, hey, Mr. Whiskers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hear back there. He's, he gets really mad if he's not on your lap. <laughs> and then finally, Chapter 10, we finally get to the uh, artwork with uh, Riley and uh, Angel, done by the re- a real artist, and made Angel look like a bad He's much thicker than uh, I actually imagined him. I imagined him a little bit skinnier, but that works. Riley's, Riley's pretty good on uh, and then the arena in the background is is pretty cool. Some people don't even notice that that's the arena in the background on Chapter 10 art. Um, and during these Chapter 10 stuff, when we actually showed the characters, very rarely do we do that. Do we did we do that later on? The reason being is because um, I I had very specific visions of what the characters look like, and the rate at which these artworks had to be done, we just didn't have time to do a lot of back and forth. Oh yeah. So so sometimes with the characters, we didn't we didn't get to do a lot in the end, but in the beginning we did. Uh, just tons of them. Um, chapter 11, uh, once you get there, uh, you can see, you know, obviously Chapter 11, the artwork was so amazing that it became our classic logo. Like, that's the logo you see everywhere is Ink standing in the hall with oh, yeah. apartments A, B, C. Um, so that was always great. And some people have never even seen the Burt artwork that's on Part 2 and 3 just because sometimes uh, the chapters, the chapter was hidden if you had, like, a second or third part. Uh, so yeah, that artwork of Bert afterwards was pretty cool. Um, and then we get to the tower. Trying to, I'm just, I'll skip over a couple of these things here. Um, ben chose me as the model for the one in chapter 12 for Michael. Um, I felt a little weird about that just because it was me. But I, I the only reason I had me model before was just because of photo references. But oh well. Right. Um, I, l- I like it personally. It, yeah. It's it's the age. It works with the age appropriateness of the the character. Um, but everyone says I sound like Michael that knows me, so it's uh, I, I can understand it. But um, 
And then at 12, obviously, we have uh, Pegs and then Mr. Whiskers. And, and if you see Mr. Whiskers is very young there because um, he's supposed to be. He's just a kitten uh, or a very young kitten, almost barely a year old at that point. Um, and then we have Lizzie and Saul, obviously, on uh, part four. And they're looking down. I forget what they're supposed to be looking at. They're supposed to be looking at mm. something. And I kind of forgot what the reference was in 12. So I, I think it was something. Yeah, and Lizzie's actually really short here, too. Um, but if you look at the tower in the very <laughs> upper left-hand corner, you can see the generator hanging out of the window. I don't know if anybody notices that. Oh, no, oh, I didn't funny. know what that was. Yeah, that's the generator, like, hanging out of the balcony. Because um, half of it was outside, half of it was inside, so it had an exhaust vent of all the heat outside of the, the place. And then you see a lot of cabling going throughout the buildings from the outside in. Um, and let's see your season recaps. Oh, uh, chapter 13. That's my dad's hands. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's my dad's hands. Who oh, are, nice. was based? Uh, there's a lot of Bert that's uh, based off of uh, my dad. And I actually had him hold a gun over a, a piece. Then we just kind of gave it to the artist and said, here you go. One of my I favorite so, I so badly wanted to approach him and talk to him about the tuna fish sandwich story. He would have loved that. He will talk your ear off if you give him 10 seconds. He really will. <laughs> I should have done it. <laughs> he, he, like, the other day, I th- what was it? We went to dinner for uh, or something for the, my birthday. And I was just hearing him in the background just telling one of his stories again that I've heard a thousand times. It's like, oh... <laughs> and the, the weird thing is the tuna fish uh the tuna fish sandwich actually is a combination of two stories of his his there was a tuna fish sandwich that did save his life um so the the mortith part was true but then the hitting of the officer was another story um so that i kind of combined the two but he actually hit his superior officer that's wow that's yeah. outstanding How which is why out? i outranked him <laughs> oh yeah, well, I'll never let the corporal live it down. Um, <laughs> let's see here. Obviously, the surgical utensils for Chapter 14. Um, chapter 15, them heading south. If you notice, the ocean's on the right-hand side. And if you look very, very closely between the palm trees, you'll see the boat. Ah, yeah. Wow. That's far off. Yeah, way, way, way out. Um, and uh, that was just a plant to the next one, which is... Uh, the, the big old yacht hanging off the cove with the Diamond Star, which a lot of people don't know what the Diamond Star means. It means that the boat was uh, disabled, but it actually did work. So it was a false flag, if that makes sense. Oh, nice. Oh, Got it. I didn't know that. I know I, I did not, but I can see that now. You're learning lots of things from this. Uh, like That's why I was like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of cool things in the art that might be fun to share. <laughs> um, okay, so Chapter 17, where it's the mangled uh, hole inside the um, the warehouse, you cannot see it in the, the ones I sent you, but if you saw the full res versions, there's four little eyes in the in the background that you can't really see because it's a small. Uh, but they definitely were in there of the two little ones that were inside the uh, inside the what we call it the warehouse. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. Uh, let's see here. The colony is the first time we see the colony uh, in chapter 18, and that is actually if you go to the location. Um, that's pretty close to what the outside and streets look like around that place. So it's it's a Google Map reference, basically. Huh. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Chapter 19, uh, Shovel Face is on the ground, and other people are coming after him. This had a weird, like, Children of the Corn feeling. It does. It was like one of those, like, oh, okay. I think the guy is just standing in the background, uh, just, like, looking on. It's kind <laughs> of a, it's very different artwork um, for that one. 
Let's see, 20, there's the, obviously the chair that was thrown through the window from the furniture store for that Lizzie um, left the, the breadcrumbs. Let's yep. see here. 11, that arena is actually based off of the pond in Anaheim with the Ducks play. Um, so it's huh. not exactly the same. Like the arena like that, I, that exists in real life is not nearly that big, but that's the kind of uh, size that we'd want for it. Mm-hmm. There are fictitious places in the story. Um, let's see, 22, that on the bed there is Pippin. You can see he's kind of chained to the bed on the left. Um, and sitting in the chair is Hope, kind of watching the monitors. This is uh, the rudimentary uh, surveillance room. It, it's kind of a, a nice juxtaposition if you see this compared to uh, the artwork that we made for Chapter 48, which we'll talk about a little bit. But Chapter 48's artwork that you guys got to see at the live show will eventually release for people to actually see on like a YouTube channel or something. Um, but that, it's very similar to uh, the one that CJ has, but CJ's is obviously much better. Uh, 23, this is actually one of my least favorite artworks. Um, I used it because I had to, that we didn't have time to correct it, but I envisioned something very different for this one. It, it does Him standing there so close to the camera is not something that I was too... Uh, I, I wanted something different, but it, it, you know, sometimes the artwork has to come really quick and really fast. Um, but I liked what he what he did there. And twenty four, I love because um, it's uh, it gives a very good feeling of like this is an assault on uh, and you can see the rockets in the foreground. And I love the maulers are like the mauler that you do get to see is is like really in just like jeans and running shoes and not like some people for some reason thought they'd be in orange still. I don't hmm. know why. Yeah. When you say prisoners, they're like. Eh. Uh, 25, one of the biggest mistakes in the artwork is this one. They were not driving a Hummer. It was a, <laughs> uh, it was a gun truck when they were running away from the behemoth. So, oops. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm the worst fan ever. I didn't realize that was the behemoth. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, the behemoth in the, underneath the bridge right there. There's a behemoth? Yeah, you don't see it? No. It's really hard. It's that, that, uh, white piece on the right-hand side. Okay. The cloud. Yeah. You can see a tiny little head there. Like in the very center. My perspective's off for some reason. Uh, that's okay. A lot of this artwork sometimes has like multiple perspectives in one. So I, if you saw a little, a bigger picture of it, you'd see it. Maybe I'll, I'll uh, send you all the, the higher res stuff later on. Okay. Um, on 26, obviously there's there's the cat, Mr. Whiskers, catching a mouse. Uh, 27 is the first time we ever revealed some of the tattoos that were on his hand uh, that a lot of people... Um, really clung on to and started to try and analyze ahead of time. This is the <laughs> oh, precursor. Yeah. Most of the stuff that's on there is uh, voodoo stuff. Not a lot of uh, not a lot of protection mark stuff on here. Some of these voodoo things do mean protection, um, but some of them are mean other things involved with voodoo. So they're not every single one's not specifically exactly protection, but it's along the lines of uh, what he was wanted, if that makes sense. Um Let's see here. 27. The mask that he's actually wearing is the same masks that we originally gave our uh, actors to wear. So the blue and the big old faceplate is actually the exact mask that we used for those scenes. Oh, yeah. Um, we ended up later on actually not putting the actors in any masks because what ended up happening was their their voices and breathing became so restricted that what we did later was just record them normally on microphones and then put a speaker inside the mask and then tape it shut. And then record the speakers. Uh, record the speaker inside the helmet later. Oh wow, that's a lot. <laughs> and the cool thing is, we were able to then uh, take it and use EQ on it and vary the degree of, of how much mask you hear 
versus how much clear the line is. That way you can actually hear, um, you know, more clearly what they're saying. And by we, and by we I mean me. <laughs> I got Hi, Blair. Blair. <laughs> she's, she's just listening in. Uh, let's see here. 29, nothing really. That's pretty self-explanatory. He used the model of me um, that I had on one of my Facebook pictures. I was like, oh, okay, that works. <laughs> Um, let's see here. 30, that's in a look inside the Chinook looking out as the people are getting rescued in. You can see one of the bodies on the floor. Um, this is when the soldiers get attacked in the field. Let's see here. There's the ring and family ties. Uh, no, is that a, is that really a Chinook or is that a, uh, C-130, the back end of one? I think it's, I, ew, I can't remember. I'm not sure. It's a little wide to be a, the actual Chinook. Um, yeah, it is a little wide, but then again, the people are inserted after the fact, so it could be a Chinook and the people's scale is just slightly off. Oh um, yeah, I could see that. So it's, it's hard to tell because a lot of these photos that you see, the references are like a conglomeration of maybe like three things at once. Yeah. I thought C-130 as well. Yeah. It does have that wide, wide berth on the sides, but Chinook has the same platform that lowers down the back and everything. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So it's hard to yeah. tell the one I, I, I've only been in one once. And I can't really remember because it was like completely dark and at night, and there was like no night vision, anything. I had nothing, and I'm like blind going into this thing. There's like barely any red light. Wow. Um, okay, so here we go. Family ties, obviously the ring. You can see the wings, um, and then the um, the the three infinity uh, things inside there. That means the three. Oh, those three rings actually mean something individually, and I cannot remember off the top of my head what it is. Um, hmm. but it's, it's some sort of, um, like forever that it's some infinity thing. That's all I know. Um, like once you're in, you're always in, so to speak. That's kind of the, the idea. Uh, 32, this was the hardest reference to find is the water truck that specifically had a big enough hatch on the top that he could crawl in and out of in the right <laughs> angle for the right fence. I never would have even looked for that, but yeah, cause I was looking at the, I was like, Oh, it's a water truck that they get into. And then he said something about the hatch. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, there is a hatch on top, too. Yeah, the hatch is incredibly important. Well, it's important for the story. So. Yes, it is. Um, 33 is the first time we ever see a, a little one. And it's, we barely get to see much of it. But very lengthy, very long. And you can barely see how long the fingers are. But they're huge. Uh, enough to, to very narrowly gut a guy, which is obviously what happens. That's um, I think that guy would, had a name. I can't remember. Um, for 33. That is, that is, but the, the character did have a name that he died. Hmm. Um, 34. The funny thing, this artwork was done way after the season was over. This artwork wasn't actually completed because we didn't, we didn't get this one done in time. So this was actually the artwork that we made for the cover for season three, uh, for the CD sales and then retroactively put it back in 34. It looks really well done compared to a lot of them. Yeah. This one, um, uh, there's actually a mistake on this one too that we got fixed uh, on the cover. And yeah, Blair says you're welcome because she noticed that there's no blindfold on Hope. Oh and yeah, bandage because she got her ap- operation, so she would still have the bandage on her eyes. So that's something that you'll see in this artwork that actually got la- later on got added on and fixed for the artwork for the box set. Hmm. Another oops, it happens. The artwork, the artwork goes faster than anything else. So it's a lot of the times where it's like we do the best we can. Um, 36, there's, or 35, there's CJ and the Katana. I always and, thought she looked a little bit apprehensive when I would expect her to be, like, very confident with the sword. 
Yeah, it's not. Basically, it's a one of those things where you put a head of an actor on the body of a of something you have as a reference and try mm-hmm. and make it work. Like so, that, I, I could picture pegs holding a sword like that, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it would be a little bit better off. But yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the the rush the rush qualities of it. I think is just that position there for that one, especially. But the lighting's really good. I mean, it's a good picture. Yeah, it, the the basement kind of does look like that of the tower that is Dunbar. Oh, cool. Um, 36, you can see the shadow of the behemoth on the right, and then you see another little one on the left, which I believe is it's either a little one or Roberts. Uh, not Roberts, but um, Randy. Yeah, one of those two oh. uh, coming after the, the colony. You can barely see it. Uh, let's see here. And then 33, or I'm sorry, 37, there's the aftermath of the battle at Liberty Park um, with all the colonists. Uh, I think it's a dead mauler there. Uh, in the foreground, um, 38 is Bert working on the um, the feed system cow. for the 50 cow. Uh, let's see here. 39, there's a continuity error here, but I didn't care, which was they put <laughs> the body on a table rather than it sitting up on a chair, but it looked better in the picture. So I was like, eh, keep it. Uh, 40, there obviously is the uh, the well system, which is very similar to the, the area it's supposed to be. Uh, you can see the little windmill. Uh, let's see here. 41, obviously there's uh, the waterworks, so the scene back in like chapter 9 <laughs> you get to see for the first time. Uh, Yeti! This one, he didn't really do much to. Chapter 42, the arrow. That's actually, uh, that picture's taken on the recording stage uh, on our, one of our uh, dance <laughs> services. <laughs> and you know, there's little spots of blood in the corner. We, I think that's actually done practically. Um, 43, there's the look from the tunnel. Uh, out of Datu standing in the church. It's meant to be very... Um, Datu had a lot of religious tones to him, so there's kind of light shedding on him in a way. Very uh, symptomatic of his arc that he's going through. Yes, and walking into the light. <laughs> Somebody compared this to the chapel scene at the end of uh, Lost. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except mine's not an ending. Mine was just the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the, the whole chapel thing. What? Why did you end up in a church? This is not, sorry. I'll just <laughs> religion, that deserves a whole hour of its own. It does. It does. I never thought that religion was a huge as much big of a component as they tried to make the ending fit into in the end. So it seemed like they that was not what the themes of the show were. But whatever, they do their own thing. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. Forty four. Uh. That's actually. The uh, LA General Hospital in the background. Uh, Forty-five. That's the uh, broken-down arena inside now. With the, the you can see the stars through the roof at the top and the blue flames in the center. Um, that's also something in the story that might not be one hundred percent accurate. Is if insulation will burn blue, but I wanted it, so it's there. It looked cool. Yeah, that's the pretty much that's all. It's the intention of the scene. Uh, the cabin in the woods for chapter forty-six, which actually when I described it, the artist he actually put in. Season 4, Chapter 46, Cabin in the Woods, which wasn't the name of the title. <laughs> um, and then the second to last one, we have a lion's den with Victor on top and all the, the zombies getting splattered below. Obviously, he wasn't on top, but that's okay. And then the ink runs dry, which was the longest-running planned title chapter ever. The The name of the, the, the title of Chapter 48 was determined, like, in Season 2. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it was one of those, it's like, the one of those, like, Eureka moments was like, hey, this would be perfect. This would be a great title for the ending. Um, say it. <laughs> well, that's incredible. There is a lot of stuff I did not realize was in the artwork. 
because yeah. I viewed a lot of it on my phone. Yeah, it does. Well, the artwork is even bigger on um, some of the other stuff too. But yeah, now in uh, chapter thirty-seven is when we really started doing our reviews. So I started paying a lot more attention to it. Yeah, because the artwork the artwork does give you hints of stuff that's going to happen. Like Datsu's artwork in, in part one, when that's for something that came up in part three. So right, a yeah. lot of people did a lot of foreshadowing of what what does this mean? What what are these things on the sides? And so it was really hard to balance, like trying to make the artwork dynamic, but also not give away too much of what was in the episode. Very cool. Oh, yeah, I'm sure somebody probably still thinks there's steganography or. <laughs> something else in the artwork but I actually ran a program just to see one time I put all of the artwork into one big folder and had a, this program batch through it and see if there was anything oh my god no that's yeah that'd be too much um, <laughs> we we on our small budgets can hide our, we can, I can hide something in audio very easily and I do the hidden stuff inside of the artwork is a little bit harder to coordinate especially like I said because the pace we go is, is you kind of have to move quickly and, and say okay that'll work and move on Man. Well, um, I'm not sure when he's going to be back, but we can go ahead and start on the Q&A session. Sure, sure, yeah. Whenever uh, whenever you like. Okay. Uh, let's see, the first one is from Doofus Monkey. He says, uh, did you originally make Hope Blind just for the ending, or did it just work out that way? Uh, it worked out that way. Um, Hope being blind, basically to mean Hope is blind, that it's the, the future is very bleak for these people. Um, so it means that, obviously, and... She also was uh, able to be a device as much as a character uh, to be able to use her to explain some of the stuff that's happening in the scenes because she can't see. So it, she was also giving us like a an out to like explain more of what's going on without directly like breaking or going into narration. Because narration was always something that's like try and put as little as possible in. And uh, so she was a way to, to make that actually like, you know, not happen. All right. Oh, uh, anything else about Hope? Uh, no, the, the, the ending um, is one of those things where it's like everyone has to have their purpose and the and piece of the puzzle. And every single person in the building has, uh, especially when you talk about the females and the, the ending, every single person had to have their own um, purpose and piece of the puzzle. And being Hope being able to work past not being able to see through the CS gas was just absolutely perfect for her and gave her a big purpose and her own part in the climax. Oh, yeah, that was pretty big. Okay, Slaterific also asked, um, will Tales from We're Alive push back the release of the book about Bert till after these are out? Uh, the Bert book, yeah, the Bert book has been something I've been asked about a lot lately because they're like, hey, why don't you go back to it and do it? Um, it's very difficult. Unfortunately, it's just taking a lot of time to get the book done, and it's very different because I'm taking something that somebody else wrote and then rewriting portions of it and then doing other things. So it's not going very quickly. And so it probably will end up being more delays. I'm going to work on it on the side because it is so slow um, to get done. And honestly, it's, it's backstory for Bert and it's, it's got, a, it's got a good arc and things like that inside there, but I'm not entirely happy with it. So who knows? There's a chance that I might scrub it, but I'm still working on it. Okay, cool. So, and this is uh, many people have brought up a book or this book to us lately, and, and uh, honestly, it's the first I've I'd heard of a concrete that there would that there would be a book. Yeah, it's just a backstory for Bert. Um, it was one of those things we were working on between 
seasons three and four that I thought I'd have more time for. Um, and it just started taking up a lot. And I was like, okay, well, I have the wedding coming up. I have to pre-produce season four. Season four is already going to be stressful enough because there's a lot of stuff I still had to like figure out. Um, and I was like, you know what? This is not important compared to everything else. So you're getting pushed aside. And Tales of We're Alive is, uh, in some ways, a more compelling tale. So I'm probably going to end up working on that a little bit more uh, than the book. That's just, unfortunately, the nature of the beast. I'll, I'll work on it still, and it will, you know, hopefully get done. I can't can't promise it anymore because uh, uh, at one point it was more definite. But uh, it's, you know, how these things are. It's hard to hard to complete these things. Yeah, sometimes. Definitely. So you've already answered this, but I figured I'd let you just go ahead and say it again. Is the protection symbol based on a real image or a petroglyph, or did he make it up? Or did you make it up from whole what whole cloth? <laughs> I'm not sure what he means there. This is this is a witch doctor. Uh, okay, um, actually, it is 100% based off of a real petroglyph that has unknown origins. They don't really know what it means. It, it's really really old and ancient. I just gave it a purpose and a meaning and a reason. Um, I have the picture of it. I don't know if I want to release it or not. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like it might take away a little bit of the magic or it might add to it. I don't know. So we'll see. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to asking you about that weekly until you at least tell me a little bit about it. <laughs> I've been doing I can't find it. I've been yeah. using Google to try and do like image searches just for a clean graphic of the symbol itself. Same here. I even if you guys are getting this thing. If you guys are getting this hard charged into finding it, I might as well just release it. I mean, I don't want to like have you guys go crazy because it is on the internet somewhere. I, I will, I will admit it is on the internet. Um, and, yeah, no, keep up the illusion. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, maybe. But uh, oh, and the, the fish on fire was an actual was another petroglyph that I was uh, considering. But and it was during a time of like when I was trying to find that right symbol to make it work. Um, I was actually also making up my own seeing if I could make one that looked better. And then when I found this one, I was like, there we go. That works perfectly. Although I did not see the Wi-Fi thing that people saw. But I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> well, once you put it inside that circle, it really looked like Wi-Fi. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Oh, and the, uh, the five lines represent a hand. I will tell you that much. Oh. Yeah, that's what I kind of pictured, like a hand, like, with spread out fingers. Yeah, it's it's kind of that's the, the kind of the mark of ink there. Okay. Nice, I like it. You got Davidson's next question. Uh, okay, uh, what happened to Cindy, Angel's girlfriend, who was buried in the flower bed? Was she dug up or did she decompose to Z gas? Oh no, she was dug up. Uh, she was dug up and taken to. Uh, they were just gathering bodies at the colony at that time. Um, they, I believe, they left them outside. Um, the ones that were brought inside were majority of the ones who were not turned that they used for a food source. Um, but I think the ones outside were the ones that were turned and dead because, um, that was, that's an instinctual behavior that they have. Um, and so that was, that was kind of their, you know, their pile. You know, with all those details that that's where I was kind of looking for almost a story from Ink's perspective at some point near the finale, but I don't know. It kind of shifted away from that over time. Yeah, it's it's a story you can't tell. Right. Um, and honestly, it would take away a lot of his power because the few times we do see him, he's meant to be intimidating. So 
if, if it's brief on the scene, if it's brief on the in the in the story, it's more exciting when he's there. Very cool. Like if he was to talk, all the power would be taken away. Like talk is in like full sentences. Right. The few words he does say, um, which are I think a, a total of five different words, barely uh, throughout the entire series. Um, or no, it's more than that. It's probably more like seven. It's just yeah, it's meant to have more power. More is less, or less is more. That's yeah, it. it's a lot creepier. Okay, Adam asks um, question for KC. How did the teacher KC survive that long and meet up with the tower crew in the finale? Um, what was the answer that I came up with for this one? He just did. What? He just did. He just did. That's what, <laughs> that's what Blair's saying. Um, He's on. Well, here's the thing: is there's a lot of people who did survive from California who uh, made it out of the state before things went bad. Because remember, there was uh, evacuations. So there were people on helicopters that were taken to Fort Irwin, then they were then taken to Colorado. So there were people that did make it out of there, um, and he could have been coming back. And you know, there's a lot of ways he could have survived. I haven't determined all of them, but most likely he was evacuated with one of those groups. And then how he came back is a, is another story. I don't know if I'll ever tell it, but he, he found a way. It's a pretty resourceful guy, you know. <laughs> Let's see. The next one's from Slaterific. Uh, he says, "Will the paid episodes be on iTunes and the Google Play Store, or just the War Live Store? And will they be released as a complete story or in twenty-minute episodes like the regular show?" That I can't answer yet. Well, the in terms of the uh, the length, it's we're hoping to do two two to three hours roughly, and maybe make them break it up into uh, like forty-five minute segments. Um, but to get them on the iTunes store, and a lot of people don't know this, but I'll just tell you right now how complicated it is. You have to have authored 10 individual things to have up there to be your, your own publisher. Otherwise, you have to go through a distributor. So we would actually have to create Tales of War Live, give it to our distributor, Blackstone, and then have them put it up there. And then we're already at a loss because the percentage, because our publisher would probably take about 50% roughly of, of sales. So what ends up happening is we make a whole lot less than if we would have put it on our own store. So oh, it, that's, yeah. that's a mess. Yeah, so it is a mess. So unfortunately, there's no word or there's no room for independent publishers on iTunes Store anymore. Oh. Um, so they don't want you to like be able to be a freelance on there. Google Store might be different. Maybe we'll look into that one. But that's kind of the reason we uh, were able to or had to put it up the finale on our store is because. It's the only one where we'd actually be able to see uh, 100% of the profits come to us rather than split with somebody else. Well, and our, sorry. Uh, oh, I was just going to say, our um, our margins are so slim that basically we need every penny, so to speak. Chris Eads, we've got a little bit of a long piece here, but um, this KC said he, wanted, said he wanted the final battle at Dunbar to have just the women defending it but spared Puck's life. Is there a character that you reluctantly killed off? Um, a lot of people uh, have talked about Angel possibly living on, and that was actually something that was possible. He could have lived on in one of the scenarios that I had outlined, um, but it ended up working out better to actually kill him off. Um, so it, it, in the end, it, it's kind of like the story wouldn't have progressed in a way that um, it did if he hadn't had died. So it was... It was one of those things where, uh, and I've said this a lot, I know, where it's like a character dies to move the story forward. He was one of them. Um, let's see here. Anybody else I reluctantly killed off? I would have loved to have kept Bixby. 
I loved his character too, and maybe Gatekeeper. Uh, weirdly enough, Gatekeeper, the guy who played Gatekeeper, moved away, so he had to get killed off screen. Uh, he just wasn't able to record the last segment, which worked out okay. It uh, wasn't a big deal because we got to have him at least come on one last time. Um, but if those two characters were let to live, they could have undermined CJ at any turn, and I, I had to take them out of the equation. So those were two characters I were reluctantly killed, and, and the soldiers as well were ones that I reluctantly killed because uh, I'm talking about Robbins um, and Carl and Muldoon because those guys I fell in love with. Like I, yeah. I did not want to kill them at all, but um, the ending would have been very different because if you put trained soldiers in the mix, it changes the stakes of what's going on. And it would have changed the entire dynamic. Victor wouldn't have been come to the front. Saul may not have even come to the front. He would have remained in the background. It would have had a, been a very different ending. So, like I said, it's one of those occasions where the deaths in the story have to mold the events that come after. It's it's just a kind of a necessity. Okay, uh, this next question. During the late chapter 13, early 14, when Bert takes charge of the tower... He sends out scouting parties for supplies, and one, com- one comes back with cement mix. He says it isn't a good idea due to lack of water, but also says at least we have it when we need it. Is that the cement he uses to bury scratch? That's a good question. That's really cool. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> and did you just make that up just now? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, I, I, will, I will fully admit that. It, it definitely can. Because well, um, they got cement mix to... Uh, do the windows at, uh, what do you call it? Not a Dunbar, at um, our tower. But they didn't, the, the water was shut off by that time. Like, the water didn't work. Whereas CJ's tower, the water was still going when they were doing all that stuff. So they actually had a lot more water to work with when they were uh, cementing in things. So CJ jumped on the ball faster and was able to use it, whereas they weren't at the tower. So it could have very easily been that from that supply. I didn't write it in that way, but... It makes that I'm gonna I'm gonna take it and say this. Yeah. this Check off cement. It's officially canon now. Way to go, fan. <laughs> yes, it is. Good job, Chris. Okay, how many hours at a guess have you put into making the show over the years, and how long did it take you to come up with the concept of We're Alive? Uh, he says, I know he mentioned it during his service, but how long ago was that? Um. Okay. So coming up with the concept of We're Alive, uh, actually. Uh, the, the seed was planted for little stories. I have lots of story ideas in my book, so I'm not going to really count when, I, like, the inspiration for when the tower came up uh, when I was overseas. Um, but actually, the first two seasons of We're Alive was outlined in two evenings, just laying in bed while Blair, I, I think you were working on something, and I was just at my laptop typing away and came up with the outlines for the first two seasons and the uh, characters. 10, hours. Uh, Blair says 10,000 hours. <laughs> I just did the math. She just did the math, which is actually... You're now an expert. So, yeah, because you, you, you figured out how many weeks, right? And then from there, it was average... Did you average 20 or 30 hours a week? I did 30 hours a week. Okay, which is fair, because it's a lot more of like... And then I figured all the times you're um, working when you're not uh, here. Yeah, it's true. And all the times before you started production... So she's talking about pre-production, um, like site planning and website maintenance and everything. So she's she's predicting ten thousand hours, which is probably it's probably actually conservative in some ways. It might be more than that, but yeah, seems about right. Five years, ten thousand hours. What's ten thousand divided by five? That's four hundred and sixteen days. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I believe it. And, and people are like, no, there's no way. Uh, if they were to see the timelines of, of We're Alive and, and how complicated all the details of, of 
production are, they'd actually probably agree. Just see one layout of Pro Tools. So more than one year over five years. That's four, that's 40 hours a week. That's, a that's, job. that's one fifth of your life in five years. <laughs> little, little, it's even more than one fifth of your life. Yeah, no, I believe one, it. It's one fifth of five years. That is not sixty percent of the time. It works every time, but yeah, one <laughs> more than one year spent over just five years. Yeah, no, I, I do believe it. And also, that's not even count. Well, maybe it is counting, but like we we took trips to Fort Irwin. Um, yeah. We went to Dunbar. We went all these places like doing research and things too. And there's always like all the outlines and stuff. I, I can imagine it's it's yeah, probably well, right. 30, Thirty hours a week times fifty two times five is seventy eight hundred. So, and then factor in all the times you took trips, all the yeah. times you're working on other stuff. So 10,000. Yeah, but 10,000 hours makes sense. Crazy, yeah. huh? Well, 10,000, and that's just you. That's, you know, factor in Grayson and everybody else that's worked on it. That's even more man hours if we're yeah. going to get into man hours. Yeah, that's true. They're, because we have a um, our first line editor, our yeah, second line not, editor. That's not counting the Sunday recording hours. Yeah, that's not counting the Sunday recording hours. That's not counting our... Well, the 7,800 isn't. That's why you factor in it to the 10 yeah. Um, and then Elisa edited the scripts. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's, yeah, all that more than ten thousand hours easily. Yeah, that's which is that's crazy. Hours. And at first, with right. the way Blair said it, I did the math just now. You know, sometimes her, from what I've observed, her humor is when when it's dry. <laughs> uh, I didn't know if she was being silly or not. I just did the math right now. Or what was your favorite thing to do? I loved dying. That was fun. <laughs> Welcome to my life. Sometimes I just don't get it. Like. Uh, a couple years ago, here's a really great example. A couple years ago, I threw her a um, a party, and it was themed. Uh, and it was themed around the blender that I got her. And she didn't know what the theme was, and so I got her this really nice blender. No, it's like, you're not telling her right. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, this is what happened. Uh, my 25th birthday, I know that I'm having a birthday party, and I am hearing that I'm going to have this theme this themed birthday party, and I'm not allowed to know about the theme. So there's all this hype around the theme because there's a Facebook event, and it's like all the guests can click on this to learn about the theme, but Blair, don't click on this. So I'm guessing that it's going to be like a Mad Men theme or a dinosaur theme, and everybody's going to come dressed as dinosaurs or something like that. And so I'm getting pretty pretty amped up about this themed birthday party that Casey's throwing for me. <laughs> so the night rolls around. And he brings me into his office and has me open my birthday present, and it's a blender, which is great. I needed, like, a really nice blender because I make a lot of smoothies for, um, you know, just health. And uh, so I opened the blender, and it's a, re- it's a blend tech. It's great. I'm excited. And then I'm like, all right, so let's, what's the party going to be? And he's like, this is it. I'm like, what do you mean this is it? Your blender. I don't understand. <laughs> We're theming the birthday party around the blender. How does that, I don't under, what, how do you do that? So it ended up just being a birthday party that had a blender at it. Um, it people brought like special blending stuff. They're making all mixed drinks yeah. all night long. We, you, there's only so many mixed drinks you can make in a night. It was fun. It was. Let it go. I love, I love the bit Casey did this. It's hilarious. The problem was that I was so hyped up for this huge, like awesome theme and it was a blender party. Okay, so tell them so tell me your revenge now. So then this year I threw him a toaster oven party. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> so he threw you a mixer? Yeah. Yes, he threw me a mixer. That's a great <laughs> nice. great way of putting it. Um, so yeah, this weekend he had a toaster oven party. Uh, he was not so happy about it. 
He did, he, he did not think it was quite as funny as I thought was it was. Well, did he ask for a toaster oven, like a really nice toaster oven? No. I don't like toast. He does not like toast. I don't like things toasted either. And you asked for a blender. I didn't ask for a blender, but I had a, bl- a working blender. He just decided to get me a really nice oh, one. Oh, okay. You had a crappy blender. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> um, but the, we don't we don't have a toaster oven. We have a toaster that's like melting and falling apart, and it's old. So I the toaster oven. There are so many things you can make on a toast in a toaster oven, and our oven doesn't work very well. Um, it's not it's not reliable or consistent. So we needed a little toaster oven. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. Yeah. So now he has one. She's really selling it there. <laughs> and it was pizza hilarious. Rolls. Get some pizza rolls. It I'm was a, a fan. good joke. <laughs> Well, you I'm can keep that up, Kai. You put it at the end, wherever you want to do. Thanks. I think that's point. And uh, what's what do you say after that? I got to get a drink of water. Match, I'm out of water. Point. point and match and point. Match and point. Match Case set. and point. That's it. Case and point. Case and point. That's it. Or <laughs> match set. Yes. And game. Let's see. Uh, next, what was your favorite scene to write and see come together during recording? And which was most difficult? The best scene to come together, and this don't take this the wrong way, was the Lizzie attempted rape scene. Um, <laughs> well, that yeah, was I, I, I got to get some water. This. I'm obviously coughing over here. Um, well, the reason why, and it's because of the dynamics of the scene, because I thought it was one of the most clever executions of scene parallelism, not parallelism, but like parallel action, um, where you have... Saul and uh, Bert discovering what happens based on the clues that were in the scene, and you unravel it and get to hear the scene that actually happened. And it was like a really cool back-and-forth dynamic where two scenes cross-cut in a way that um, is extremely unique and rarely ever done. Um, and I think we're one of the first people to do something like that. I think it's almost one of the first times I've ever heard of done an audio drama, but I might be wrong. But it was like, that to me was the most fun, and I was like, also, that scene was incredibly easy to write because all of Saul's reactions are all my reactions of if, like, somebody tried to attempt themselves onto, like, my then-girlfriend or wife now. So it was, like, a really guttural reaction, and that was just flowed on the page. And probably one of my favorite scenes to write and probably one of my best scenes I think I wrote. That uh, one definitely does stand out, and I can appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, like, Saul, the emotions of Saul, I get the poor just open up a gate of, of basically, you know, most of the, whatever your, your gut would say at that time, Saul gets to say, which is why I think people love his character is he's so, he's a little unfiltered at times. Mm. Um, and the hardest scene to write was the epilogue that went through like uh, 21 drafts. Um, it was absolutely incredible to try and write because so many things like I wanted to put in there and then so many things had to go to the wayside. And so that was, it's also the thing you leave everybody on. And it's just, yeah, to get all the dynamics right in that scene. And because epilogues, like, they have, they, there's a purpose for them that most people don't actually do. Like, the epilogue of Lost didn't do what a normal epilogue should do. It was just like, uh, uh, yeah, this Here's works. some stuff. Yeah. We'll try and wrap this up the best we can without any plans. But the epilogue itself, the nice thing for us was uh, we were working up to it since, you know, uh, halfway through, like the beginning of season two, halfway through season one ish, like it was outlined somewhat. Like we knew that that Nicholas was going to be the end of uh, him, and then Saul and Lizzie needed to die, obviously. Uh, so we got to kind of work on that, and then and come up with the question that's asked at the end. 
which is uh, the dynamic arc of, of Nicholas, of, is what path is he going to choose in life now? Which I'll, some people don't get. Some people don't get it and other people do. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see um, whether or not they kind of get the point of the story. Cool, cool. All right. Uh, yeah. Did you get? Just kidding, did you guys get it? Like, what yeah. Go for. Yeah. Okay. No, you know now I know why you didn't go real in depth on when the making of Nicholas happened at the party. Yes. Because it was being told to Nicholas. <laughs> well, no, well, not only that, but uh, there is a time in the story. I don't know if you remember that we didn't know if Nick, if Saul was the father or not. Oh yes, yes. So the, there had to leave some questions in that. Um, and also no one's going to write how they hooked up with somebody in a journal. Uh, maybe they, they might not put it in there. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point too. Pegs would, Lizzie and Saul, I don't think it would. True, true. <laughs> All right. Any chance, uh, any of these characters make, uh, cameos in the tales from where live and we're still on Chris Eads questions. <laughs> um, yes, there could be some characters. I, uh, not as many as you might think. But there's specifically one tale of We're Alive that I actually was thinking about this, just this last weekend um, that I'm thinking about doing, which is not was not in my normal plan, but I love the idea and concept of this this tale, and it does involve characters that already exist in the world. So there, I changed my answer. Mick, <laughs> I completely lost him. Yep, you lost him. Yeah, you got here. too excited and passed out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, no, I had to, I had to stretch my headphone cords into there to get some water. I am parched. Don't dehydrate. Yes. Oh, okay. No, no, his that that section ends, and the next Chris Eads section begins. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I'll go a little bit quicker now. How's that sound? <laughs> I won't be as as luxurious with my answers. It doesn't okay. bother me. And if you remember, if you answered any of these in the last Q and A, feel free to say so. Uh, whatever happened to Max? Um, we don't know. Yeah, Max, we don't know. It, it's intentionally left that way. You can assume that he died, or you can assume that he might have got away. It's I've hard to say. If you don't mind. What? I've got a theory, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, somebody else asks a, qu- a question about, you know, and you, you've answered this one, and you've answered the thing about Max in the live finale last week. And I was thinking, wondering... I was like, I wonder if he's not mentioning what happened to Max because it might give away who the father of CJ's child is. And I don't. Oh, no, it's not Max. Oh, God. Oh. You just changed it on me. It was Max until just... No, 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 no. It was definitely was not Max. <laughs> definitely was not Max. Max is not in the colony in the epilogue. So okay. <laughs> I, can, I can definitely say that. So if people want to think that he's dead or not, however they want to assume... Uh, the other clue that I will give of what happened, whether or not you think he's dead or not, is with uh, Pete and the timing of the tower. Um, when Pete and Max were attacked, they had very little time to get to Dunbar before, because Pete was getting away, uh, and they, they, they could only get one of them, and the other one got away, and they knew that they would warn them. So they had to, like, hightail out of there. So their timing has to be very, very fast. Um, so you can imagine that uh, they either... They may have killed Max really quickly just to get out of there once they got the information from him. Or, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. Or if Max would have given it willingly is also one option. <laughs> I think so. Now, this next question, 
I'm just going to go ahead and say it's probably her uh, sweet disposition, but was there a reason why Pegs didn't want to shoot a gun at the beginning of the series? Yes, the storyline was never fully explored um, because it's hard. I never found the right moment to actually tell it. Uh, it might be in some sort of side story or background, but the story is that um, she had a friend who was a lawyer uh, who was killed in cold blood. And uh, she, like, not so much witnessed it, but it was close to her enough to where it was like um, the person was killed with a lot of bullets. And it just disgusted her, and it was very, very traumatic uh, in her life. And so, yeah. Oh my gosh, a lot of bullets. Yeah. <laughs> so, a crime of passion. No, it wasn't a crime of passion. Uh, the the friend, she was... And I was trying to work this in somewhere with the lawyer, with Kelly. I just never was able to make it work, where um, Pegs can talk to, to Tammy a little bit. Or not Tammy, but Kelly a little bit about it. That's the idea of where it was the, this backdrop was supposed to come from. Um, but it never seemed to fit in there somewhere. And her friend was a lawyer on a case that was um, a high profile. I was actually even possibly going to have it involved with um, maybe the, her friend was trying one of the members in the family. And um, nice. and her friend got shot repeatedly uh, in a very brutal, brutal way to send a message. And so that was that was the idea. And people can claim it as canon now. I don't really mind. Um, but it just never found a way to, to fit properly in the real life story. And Pegs was around. Pegs saw this, or Pegs heard of it. Um, the the conditions of how it happened, uh, I'm probably not going to go into um, because that I might, I still might explore this later on somewhere. I don't know if it's like I might because I'm doing backstories for Bert, or well, at least working on it with that uh, the book thing that may or may not happen. Right. I'd like to do it with other characters too, so I might dive into it there. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but I don't mind giving out this answer now. But that's something that I might want to save for how the suspense of how it unfolds. Cool. Yeah, thanks for answering that. Let's see, the next one is, let's see, the journals. Is it Michael telling Nicholas a story and Nicholas reading the journals years later? Is that a question? I, yeah. Or, yeah, I was kind of questioning the way. I'm not sure if he means... Or what he means, because it sounds like... Well, he's, he's saying that is... Because the story itself, there's a lot of it is, is directly on the journals. And is Michael reading the journals to him, or is he telling the stories of his perspective? Uh, Michael is referring to the journals many, many times. The, this, the story of him telling Nicholas is not all in one evening. Um, it's, it's drawn out over a long period of time. This is them... Um, Kind of like maybe it took the whole day, maybe it took a, a total of, uh, of some time to do, um, but it wasn't all just at once. And Michael obviously had to use the journals as a reference. I probably read some of it. So there's there's actually a slight mix. There's a little some things from Michael are not in journal, but are told to Nicholas. And there's some things only, but only from him. Only that one character. He's the only exception to the rule. So there are some things that are not specifically in journals that he told Nicholas. So. I, maybe that's what they're asking. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess he's yeah throughout the course of the story. I see what you're saying. All yeah, right. and there's there's some journals that um, that Michael has references to that are kept in storage and, and under lock and key. If that makes sense, because there anything that mentioned that Nicholas or Saul might have been immune was basically locked away, and so that's where he has ac- Michael has access to some of that stuff uh, still, and that's why he would bring it all to, to talk to them. Our next okay. question comes from Joshua Carroll. He says, uh, "Will the cast, will all of the cast in the tale, what? 
Hold on a second. <laughs> will, will, the cast, will the original cast be in yeah, Will the, all of the cast be in the Tales series? Can you tell us no. a bit more about what the series will entail? Have we already covered that pretty well? We've pretty much already covered that. Yeah. The, the first one is about uh, the Twin Twin Towers Jail and what happened there. The second one's about Mick the Colonist. And... <laughs> <laughs> Mick and Redbeard and their adventures inside the colony. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Slightly less intelligent Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, they had a lot of latrine detail. <laughs> <laughs> We're alive, though. Yeah, it's all matters. A little more resistant than others. Hanging out at the Circle K. That was something that actually got cut, is uh, uh, latrine detail from the story. I actually was going to put it in there, and I was like, nah, just not in our style. <laughs> <laughs> but I can yeah, imagine one of the big order having people. to deal with it. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I'll take these next few, unless you want to. Nope, nope, go ahead. All right, it's from Megan, a gamer girl on the forums. She has two questions. Let's see, let me read this first one real quick and see if we've already talked about this one. Are you hearing my fan on the mic? You might be hearing my PC fan. Oh, okay. Tell me if it goes away. Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it goes away. Okay, yeah. I don't think I can hear my own mic. Okay, we can we can maybe scrap this if it, if it doesn't take have a new angle on it. But she wants to know more about the pegs and the guns backstory. She refuses to touch them early in season one, refuses to take lessons with everyone else, but as uh, brushes off Michael's offer to help in season two when they leave the tower on their doctor hunt. Not to mention her exchanges with Latch and Scratch. Any new information we can get out of that? Nah, not really. I think we pretty much covered it uh, for the most part in the last one. Although I will say the first time she picked up a gun willingly... Not to kill, well, Latch is obviously different, but she did kill a zombie when they were, then they did go down south. She opened a window and shot it <laughs> with an M16. So, she is somewhat trained. Okay, I'm, I've been waiting to get to this one, because I want to know about this too. I said, crows and rain. There has been a long-standing theory on the forums that hearing crows in the background, or that rain was a big clue to something impending death of a character, I think, maybe. Does this theory have any merit, or was there, uh, the, or were the crows just background noise? The rain just a plot device. And once the theory came up, Casey just enjoyed messing with us. Okay, let's see. Here. Well, the crows. Um, <laughs> whenever I hear what, their reasoning of "oh, it's tied to scratch," that didn't start out existing, but I ended up putting it in in the end. Great. So, <laughs> that's what I was hoping the answer would be. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna have fun with these guys. I'm gonna throw it in and and, and play with them a bit. Um, so. Yeah, at the end, when, when Scratch falls off the rail, you hear a crow fly away. Um, so there, there, there's stuff like that that I put in, because I was like, this is fun. Originally, I love crows because crows pick at uh, the flesh of dead things, and I always felt like they would be a lot more in this world. Like, they'd be all over the place, basically, like, scrounging out their things. And crows are incredibly intelligent, so I imagine they're just doing just fine in this world. Um, so that's why there's a lot of them. And also, I just love how they give depth to the background. Um, the rain the rain acts as a big hindrance for the most part for the characters. Like, when the, when the rain of Season 4 comes in, that storm system, it screws up so many things. So it is a plot device where it, it does... Um, it takes out the radios, it destroys the communications, it makes things more difficult for the characters. It digs them a deeper hole and makes things harder to do, especially with the rain at the, the hospital during that scene. If it hadn't been raining, it would be much easier. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, how can you make this scenario even worse and harder and more bleak? And obviously the rain of sadness of, of everything is foreshadowing 
depth of what's going to happen. And, and it's got a lot of purposes inside the story. And it adds a lot of depth to um, not only uh, that, but also imagine we're designing soundscapes here. When a character goes inside or outside versus the rain, I can so vividly paint the picture because I have a bigger palette to work with. So it's also meant to like better visualize things that's happening in the story. Very cool. And while it's still relevant here, and there's an inside joke to this, but <laughs> we'll, we'll save it for another day. Hey, cat. Kaka. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Megan continues to think, and she thanks you for the answer on Puck's leg and why it got broken a second time, which uh, you said earlier was to kind of save his life. Yeah, because he wasn't meant to... I, I didn't want him taking over the scenes. Like I said, it's the reason why the other soldiers die is because... Uh, it's too easy. You need to make this difficult and make the make it hard for the characters because there's uh, you don't want to make things too easy. Too easy is there's no tension. The the harder a scene is for the characters to get through, the more interesting it is to listen to. And she mentioned she enjoyed the balance of the female action sequence at Dunbar against what the guys were doing with Ink, and she's thrilled that Puck was taken off the diet and action list. Oh, one thing I will say about this though, which I thought was really interesting, was leading up to that scene. There was not one person who made the prediction, or I didn't see it anyway, that um, they were going to take care of the scene. They were going to take care of the Maulers themselves. It was always like Bert, Bert or some other male is going to come into the scene and rescue them, which I thought was very, very interesting. That it's just like somebody else had to come to the scene to the rescue. What well, the? I thought Riley was going to come to the rescue with Bert, but yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it was always well. It, no one, no one put ever put forth the uh, argument or the idea or theory that the women could take care of it themselves. Which I was like, cool. That means somebody's going to be surprised at least. Oh yeah, they were they were in what seemed like an, an impossible situ impossible situation. And it, it, it let us play with all the strengths. It was it was a really fun scene. I uh, I would love one day if this was live action, and because the thing one of, one of the critiques of the finale is it's too quick. But honestly, we had only so much time to work with. But I can imagine um, it could be stretched over a really long sequence, uh, like a two-hour finale, for what we contained in the hour. I think it would work out pretty well. Right, yeah. It was surprising to have the wrap-up done and then have such a long time for the epilogue. But, I mean, I'm not complaining either way. I, I enjoyed the length of both of those. We'll get into more, into more well, of that with our coverage. I will say one thing to, to, uh, to note, and this is something that to anybody who's re-listening to the finale – Listen to Chapter 47, Part 3, which is really the start of the finale. The last, uh, the entire segment there is the start of the finale. So if you listen to it, it's really an hour and a half or hour and 45 minutes. So uh, put those two together, and I think you'll have a better finale experience if you think it's too short. Oh, yeah. Because they're, they're, they're basically, they're written together to be, like, welded, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. Chris Eats has another one. <laughs> in chapter 2 Michael narrates saying oh you've already answered this before too but chapter 2 Michael narrates saying he can see what Saul saw in Lizzie her blonde hair and blue eyes really stood out or along those lines but yeah, that's, Lizzie's that's eyes the early version. yeah that, that's yeah. the early version when we switch the actresses um, I like to reference the actor's actual physical features a lot in the story because then it's much easier to remember and the version that they have is is probably something that like just needs to be replaced. Uh, it's probably the podcast version might need to be swapped out. So we'll get around that eventually. Um, it's just not big on our radar. Yeah, just throw the remastered one in there. Yeah, the remastered one actually is the correct one. So right. 
But actually, we are thinking about putting the remastered versions in there just for this first season because it's so drastically different that if we're going to bring on new listeners, might as well put the best foot forward there and, you know, let it let us submit. Oh, yeah. It'll still be broken up, but it'll be just point. better quality anyway. Uh, Ray on Twitter, I believe. Oh, no, on Facebook. He says, how can We're Live get exposure on NPR? <laughs> I don't know. Tell me. <laughs> yeah. I said uh, it could start by being a lot more monotone like me, but that's all I can come up with. Um, yeah, everybody write NPR. Have you know what? The first we we have this. a solution for this, actually. Um, within a year, we want to come out with a version of We're Live that's uh, clean. That's how it's going to end up on NPR. Mm. If it can be. If I'd love to put out. Because once you have a clean version, you can have it go anywhere. So, and we, that's something that was so limiting for us is like, yeah, we weren't able to go on any radio stations or anything just because it's, it is, but here's, here's the cool part is we could technically in the future, once we get a clean version, license it to anybody and let the series run on any channel, as long as they pay the royalties for it and then make sure the actors get their cuts and bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> Cause the series See. is all together. It's finished. So it's not like we have to worry about like, Oh, they're not done with it yet. They can run however long they want to, how many weeks. See, uh, Matthew Lemieux says, "What is the hardest, most emotional part of this series for you to listen to?" Ah, uh, Lizzie dying. Easy. I, I think I've talked about that a lot, but like just to go through your wife dying over and over and over and having to act it out and play Saul's part—that's yeah. really hard. That would definitely be mine as well. It's the only time I've actually teared up doing Foley. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's Doctor? This is a good question. It says, is it hard to schedule time with the actors since they all have other projects and jobs? Incredibly hard. That's actually one of the main like hurdles that we had to do in the series is, is like to be able to um, arrange and get everybody in there at the same time in the recording space. And a lot of times we weren't able to, and it, it makes things stressful for me as a director because I have to then make sure that the actions and the dialogue and the characters actually line up properly because that's it's rough. Like especially because Michael is somewhere separate, we had to do everything a lot repeated times, and you have to make sure that the energies match. And yeah, it is hard. It is incredibly difficult. And um, if we had a large budget to be able to pay the actors and do this recorded on a day, like a day rate or like during the week, it'd be much much easier. And also, we have to uh, our stage itself is. We have to work around the university schedule, so sometimes it's even that's difficult. Right. So it's 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 hard. It's really really hard. And then to maintain that strict, uh, just crazy schedule that you all had. Yeah, like our tr- we had to like uh, make sure like our window for getting people recorded and and was barely a week. Like it had to be, fall under this line. And my God, the cat is going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> He wants up. He's he's on the ground right now, and he wants on the lap. He's a very Kitty. clingy cat. <laughs> Let's see. Dr. Sean says, uh, all I want to know is, what was Scratch's real name? Todd was saying this on Twitter, too, and I was going to joke and be like, wouldn't it be cool if it was Shirley? <laughs> that was the actual name. For, uh, I'm actually not going to give her name out, um, because... I decided a while back not to. I was actually, if it was ever going to be revealed in the series, it would have been when she was talking with Lizzie. Uh, and I decided not to because it humanizes her more than I wanted to. Um, Doesn't she know her own name? She knows her own name. Oh, Scratch? Do you mean Jenna? Jenna. Yeah, she knows, I think. I don't know. No. I feel like I remember you telling her one time. I think I might have. But anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, it's not meant for anybody to really know because it, it changes 
their perspective of who she is. If she's always known as Scratch, uh, a human name might change, you know, make her less threatening. Hmm. Mm, Anakin it is. <laughs> All right, DMC on Twitter says, uh, thanks for the amazing series. I followed it from beginning to end. My question is, why is Saul immune? Genetics. Real simple. Like the way that Tanya explained it to where they're more resistant than anybody else. Because everyone has a degree of resistance and theirs can't be trumped. It's, they're genetically uh, so, mostly impervious of what, uh, what's there. Whatever it is. Uh, what is the next one? See, Gilbert says, could you talk about Riley's laugh in season one? I think you did this during... Yeah, I, have was, a, I haven't heard it. It was oh. something that uh, I was wanted to play into the series, um, and it just didn't work. It, for me, it was, uh, it was something that I wanted to put into her character a bit. Like, she's got this really funky laugh, and um, it just it fell off, and I didn't want to do it again. I was like, ah, one's enough. And it was it was based off of also uh, the idea of somebody else possibly playing Riley. Like I had a, a, a an idea of who she is and who she's based off of um, in my mind. And the person I was basing it off of had this really cackly laugh. And unfortunately, it just just didn't work. And um, yeah, so moved on to something else. <laughs> the Doogie on Twitter <laughs> says, "I want to know who came up with the double leg slash. That was epic." Talking about ink and Saul. Oh, um, it's just semantics of like if you're swinging a blade and you don't have much to reach and you're on the ground, um, you're gonna go for whatever you can. And what he got was the shins. <laughs> and it's not the first time it happened. No, it's not. It was planted that the katana could actually do that earlier. That way, you know that it's it's actual poss- actual possibility. There's a lot of parallel parallelisms uh, throughout the story. That's one of them. Um, so you know that katana could do that. Also, in one of the earliest drafts, I had it to where Saul actually killed Ink with one swipe. But I thought it was more interesting that um, that he survived a little bit longer there. Because um, Ink is the threat, but also his next creation was the, also the, a big and equal threat that they had to look out for. Um, and it felt right to have Ink and Saul die at the same time because... You lose a little in both columns, the bad and the good. They both go down at the same time. And had Ink not been killed, if Ink had been killed by Saul in the tunnel it's like itself down there, it might have changed the end game. Saul may not have sacrificed himself. But literally, Saul at that point um, was incredibly hurt. I didn't get into the details of it in the story, in the scene. Like, I didn't want to go. But, like, you can imagine his legs might have been busted because he was just tossed around the room like a rag doll by something that's much, much stronger than him. Um, so Saul cannot really get to him and probably get back to Cody at the same time. So there's the fact that you separate the two and Saul's there injured was it kind of the, the intention of the scene. Very cool. See, Luna Guardian sent us in an email and says, uh, what about the rest of the world? You know, kind of what, what happened in that universe as far as the rest of the world is concerned? Um, are there other survival groups? That kind of thing. There are. Um, I don't wanna, didn't want to go into the details of them because here's the thing is if I went into the details of every other place in the world, I mean, it's, it's a world of information. Um, 
And then you have to go into like, okay, what are they doing there? What's their customs and things like that? Some of the aspects of the world I, I actually have uh, specifically like written down, and, and it's got its own intentions for the epilogue. Um, like just background stuff that doesn't even pertain to, to the main storylines, just so I knew that the information there. Uh, but it would be too much of a distraction. Matter of fact, I even cut out in the epilogue because CJ actually mentions where the other colonies are, specifically the, the state and city that they are. And I cut it because I felt like it was drawing too much away from our main story. There's only so much you can focus on. And if you try and tell too much story, it's going to get diluted and a little blurry and unfocused. Okay. All right. Uh, Frankie Barra has, has a – are you done with that question? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's got a question about Ink. At the end of the day, was Ink just all about himself? Uh, or um, let's see. What is he saying here? Is he an individualist or, like, a groupist, Yeah, maybe? part of his question is, was he at all for helping the zombies or just using them to stay alive? Um, it's a little bit of both because, I mean, the zombies is, is a tool that he uses and he embraces and he uses to his own uh, will and strength and power. Is it for his own advantage? He does want to survive and he's, he is using them for that, but also he is sort of like their god, so it's kind of a... Uh, symbiotic relationship. One needs the other to survive, to this extent at least. Um, because if they're just wandering around aimlessly without any direction, they're not much of a of a threat. But together, they are more coordinated. Actually, like, he's giving them platforms uh, to survive in this world as well. So they rely on him as much as he relies on them. Like that garden, they, they may have been able to figure out some of it on their own, but like the water thing, where the water came from and all this stuff, uh, you could imagine he had a big hand in, in, in that as well. Yeah, and he references the arrowhead, never got help with the arrow, but uh, he saved a little one who had his arm torn off. So he's just kind of playing with the thought of maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, don't know. Wait, uh, Ink saved a little one whose arm was torn off? That's what he says. I'm not, I don't know. I don't remember that part. I don't think Ink has ever directly like saved. He, he's not, he would never self-sacrifice himself for one of them. So I don't think that's the case. Uh, he might be talking about in the series, uh, season three finale, where um, he was opening up the gate or something like that. Uh, Ink was just basically making things worse for the colony and using his behemoths to um, to play a role in all of this. Okay. Um, and what was that about the, the arrowhead? Uh, the, he he never he never was helped with the arrow. It was just just stayed there. Oh well, that's. Uh, it was in his, it was in uh, Austin McKibben, I believe is, is Arrowhead's actually real name. Yeah. Um, it was it was in his head pretty deep. Like it went past his eye a little bit and probably got lodged into the skull. Um, so to remove it may have actually been worse. And you also don't want to go too close messing with a behemoth. Even Ink is <laughs> Ink is not going to climb up there and, and pull it out and expect not to get destroyed. Um, the, 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 the control of behemoths is a very thin line. Yeah. Even though, even though Arrowhead was the most loyal, I will say that much. Even that one, you don't, you don't screw around with. Okay. Uh, next question. He's got a couple of points for this one too. He asks, was Randy really his second? And he cites, you know, it seemed like he was directing the colony battle alongside Inc. And that's it for that, I guess. Oh, it, it, he's, I think he's asking is, was Randy, like, number two in yeah, charge. Yeah, number two in command. Um, he is, what I would describe him as, if, if Inc. had an army, was a lieutenant. Whether or not there were others others in his army, 
there definitely were because you can hear them at various times in the story. But Randy is the most closely involved with our characters. That's why he has a has a very present role, and and Randy is a very very capable uh, being as them as one of those things. So he um, he really played his part well in in all of that. Mm-hmm. So yes, he is he is a number two. Is he the only one? Not particularly. Okay, very cool. Would any lieutenant survive without ink? Doubtful. There could, but doubtful. This is. That was it for that one? Yes, that's all for Frank. Thank you, Frank. Okay. Oh, and another thing just to say about that is uh, Randy was also... What made Randy unique was he was one of the few people who could actually read um, some of the things that uh, that Ink was giving him. That's why Randy was sent on location uh, to uh, the chemical plant, uh, Radon Labs. That's no, No other lieutenant could do what Randy did there. So that's where Randy was very unique. Wow. Okay. Um, this one comes in from Eric Cartman. <laughs> uh, he says, we, we know Latch was locked up because he took the, uh, the rap for something Scratch did. What was it? Uh, murder. Oh. Yeah. Makes sense. It was, it was, uh, uh, it wasn't first degree murder, though. I can't remember the exact specifics, but it was like, um, not associate to, uh, not assistant to what's the word? Um, Accomplice. Uh, accessory. Sorta? Accessory. There it is. Uh, accessory. So. Okay. Yeah, he says uh, we're to assume the series has Michael telling Nicholas the story. Did Michael tell him every detail as we heard the story, or just the important parts? If he told every detail, I can imagine when Nicholas heard the part about CJ flashing Saul and Vic, he said, "Nice." <laughs> <laughs> the gentle uh, did what? Um. <laughs> Okay, so every detail in the story is he telling Nicholas? Probably not. Um, but we do get the gist of the scenes, and we get to live them with the characters. There is a little suspension of disbelief there for that kind of stuff, but uh, you know, yeah, the, the flashing of CJ thing. But I, I will say this much, he... One of the things he did not do is he did... Because the, Saul's moment down there was all recorded on Cody. He didn't show any of that to Nicholas. He'd rather tell him what happened. Um, so that so is some ex- of this... So some of this is kind of Michael reliving the moments as he's telling the story. Yeah. So there, okay. there is, there is that in there. Uh, but yes, every detail he probably wouldn't go over. Um, he just skipped at the big parts. That gap of four months in there also is like one of those things where it's like you just kind of cut to the meat of the story. Okay. So this is one of these questions that comes up a lot. Um, was Ink supposed to be a really slow turner? A couple times when he attacks Cody. Uh, it's mentioned that he has green eyes. Is it see? But it seemed like everyone else that changed had their eyes were the first thing that changed. Um, they're partially right, but he's not a slow turner. He's just not fully either zombie or human anymore. He's kind of like um, he's the only sort of hybrid in existence. He has traits of both still. He wasn't fully ever turned, and he wasn't fully ever human again. So he's a little bit of both. That's why his eyes are the the only reason that his eyes are green, which was not his natural eye color. Hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, whoa, what? Yeah, yeah, green was not his natural eye color. And so that, I mean, that would have nothing to do with the symbols. That would just be an, an extraordinary co- coincidence that he has these genetics and also uh, the symbol. Hmm. Yeah, the, to get into, I'm going to barely scratch the surface of, of, of kind of the science behind it, but... Um, 
reasons. Ink yeah, you can't go too deep. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't. Not with this. Not with. Well, actually, we can. It's it's the science. The science in the story we did spend a lot of time on actually. But the um, with Ink himself, there are certain because of his condition of what he had before um, his paranoid schizophrenia blocked out certain parts of uh, certain receptors in the brain did not receive uh, what it was supposed to receive in everybody else. So only part of his brain actually turned. So he, there's parts, it's still a part and part, if that makes sense. He was very unique in that way. The only of his, the only one of his kind that actually had this condition. Like it was, it was almost a perfect storm of what created ink. Huh. Yeah. Cause if he, if he didn't have the condition preexisting would be one thing. If he was killed in the initial attack would be the second part. And the third would be if he um, didn't have the mark. It was just like all these things come together. And it, it was just actually a, um, a line that was cut from the epilogue was like, um, well, isn't it lucky that he had all these things there? And Michael's response to uh, Nicholas was uh, something along the lines of, well, any survivor that's telling the story initially has that luck embedded because they're alive enough to tell the story. So you hear only the lucky tales. So I, I'm not sure if I'm going to ask this correctly or not because I can't think at the moment. But uh, let's say there's a new person that is being infected. And uh, with this individual, both sides or both hemispheres of the brain don't talk well enough together. Mm-hmm. Would oh, this so they person... have a they, they're... lobotomy? Lobotomized? No, no, it's, it's where they sever the corpus, corpus callosum. Yeah. Uh, where they sever it in half, and all of a sudden the sides don't talk to each other anymore. It's it, they do that procedure to uh, seizures for to try and prevent certain types of seizures. Um, right, right. Possibly it might have some adverse effects. It could potentially. Um, so yeah, that that could be another one that would be very different. Not the same as Ink though. Um, no. Ink's brain did not was not separated. It just was different parts were changed in different ways. That's it's- the best I can. His wiring was messed up. Yeah, basically, his wires were crossed in certain ways. That's why he can still do English and also partially their sort of pseudo-language, which is actually just English, just their brains interpreted a different way. Gotcha. So that that was actually something that somebody didn't really mention or ask. You guys mentioned it at lunch, which is why was there certain English that they could read and with some magic language? It's not a magic language. It's, um, It's just English, but their brains can interpret it in a different way because they're basically been just rewired. So what looks like a mark to us might be an A to them, if that makes sense. Okay. All right, Mick. You going to finish up that? Uh, it is pretty your much highlight? Okay. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of people are going to have follow-up questions. We're like, well, why is the symbols, the symbols in the language are different? They're slightly different. It's the, the devil's in the details. <laughs> it's, the, it's there, um, but yeah, it's there's the symbols on the church that they saw is not writing that's in English. It's That's a what they call like an intrinsic response, or I forget the name for it, but it incurs the response. That's the same as the symbol. They're not writing. It's not a language. It's a reaction to um, kind of a, a forced memory, so to speak. I like the way I he like ends it. this email. <laughs> uh, <laughs> since we didn't get a definitive cause in the outbreak, can we, can we rule out crab people? Can anybody ever rule out crap people? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Because okay. here's the thing. I mean, yeah. realistically, you could think that maybe there were crab people down there, and they, I don't know, they they made some stew that was really bad one night, and just, whoops. 
That's even better. This is, this is from this is from Eric Cartman. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I have a couple questions that I didn't quite get credit for who they came from. They were in my notes. I'm not sure if I made these or if I took them from somebody else. So I'm going to say thank you to whoever put these out here. Uh, what has being a part of the Nerdist uh, network partnering done for the show? Uh, advertising revenue. There's no other way to say it. They brought in more advertisers for us. They brought in uh, more ad revenue, uh, actual funds to keep the show alive. Um, we were able to do uh, the We're Alive, you know, the, the the series finale event without having to dip into my savings account to basically pay for it, which was nice. That is uh, so, wow. So that that's basically it because a, a lot of the times I floated the funds to keep We're Alive going, um, and this is one of the times where we actually had some some you know, some money ahead of time that we got from ad revenue to put forth and get the uh, merchandise and the, the stuff done for the, because the, the event was incredibly expensive to put on. And so when people were like, oh, it was 39 bucks a ticket. That went to a lot of the operational costs of getting that thing going and all the, the prep and things like that. I'll just say it was worth every penny. <laughs> well, thank you. It was a lot of work, a lot of work, but it was worth it in the end. And what was uh what was Kalani going to write in the journal that we didn't get to hear? Um, I would I'm gonna leave it open, but I would imagine he would some form some sort of like heartfelt apology or something along the lines of trying to justify what he did a little bit further or or say some good things to some of the people of the tower that he got connected with. Maybe something about Angel because um, he did have a connection with Angel more than most any other person in the tower. Um. So yeah, so probably something along those lines. Okay. I like to leave it open because also it's 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 very true to his character that he you know in, in death sometimes people get struck down before they ever get to like say their goodbyes. So it's it's one of those it's kind of a commentary on that where it's like you have like sometimes unfinished thoughts or unfinished things that death interrupts. Mm. It's also one of the, it also is one of those things where it's like tell the people they mean something to you now rather than before it's too late. And Kalani could have actually done a lot of good had he come forth with the truth in the beginning instead of having it come out in the end. But it's it's a hindsight thing. Wow. I just realized that between the last three sessions and getting to sit down with you, I think all of my personal questions have been answered. Hey, hey. I promised <laughs> answers. I'm hoping to deliver for the most part anyway. <laughs> well, I've, got, I've got some more once we're done with these. Okay. See, uh, Frank or Left Bollocks on Twitter says, uh, would you please ask why Ink did not speak to Saul nor Randy or to Michael? Uh, obviously they could speak. Uh, and you've kind of answered this with them being limited speech, but. Yeah, it's, they have limited speech, uh, one and two. Uh, it would be too weird, also. It just wouldn't fit in what the story is. Okay. Very cool. All right. Uh, thank you to all the fans that sent in those amazing questions. Uh, and I hope that we were able to express them in a way that you wanted us to. And thanks, Casey, for answering those. Now I've got a few more that I've collected. Uh, some recently, some that I've kind of stacked up while we did the fan cast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's been a lot of times where I'm like, hey, remember that. Ask me when it's over. <laughs> and we've gotten to a lot of those, but hopefully we get some more good stuff out of this. And uh, I'm gonna th- I'm gonna break real quick here. Just hang out here until he gets back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he is currently <laughs> doing work beside me. Stuff writing Stuff. emails, things. I've been looking at pictures of Folsom Prison 
Uh, oh, yeah, I got it up. Leaving up, yeah. I had no idea that was, like, the little I, copper tower. You know, after you said that, I thought most of the prison had been modernized. Because I, I saw this, like, uh, I think it was Cities of the Underworld, kind of explored some old parts of it that had never been renovated. But now that I look at it, yeah, the thing looks like a castle. Yeah, it's got a lot of stuff that's still, like, old. Gotta remember, California doesn't have a lot of money. And they're not going to put a lot in the prison system, which is really messed up, too. I mean, the whole prison system is just a joke. Oh, I can't agree more. Like, the people we put in there for what they're doing is just like, what? What? Some of the stuff is so petty. Yeah, it is. Well, the I actually did... Part of the reason why the prisoners kind of play a, a important part in this is because I actually did a documentary called... Um, Eastern State, Living Behind the Walls. So I did a, a giant documentary with the guy. I was the editor and associate producer on it about people who lived there and really made prison into something that was beneficial to them, but really kind of talked about the struggles that they went with. And uh, it's it's uh, pretty harsh, pretty harsh. And the the a lot of these people actually still work with the prison systems, and they're basically saying that, you know, nowadays it's not rehabilitation at all. It's just like they, these places just, timeouts. They're just holding cells. That's all they are. Wow. They're not meant to change anybody. Ooh. Wow. Okay, let's see. The, the speed round, hopefully not too much, but... <laughs> okay, the character, the, the actor that played Nicholas, name was Zach Robbins, is that correct? Yes. Is this, uh, is this a, a friend, or did y'all, how'd y'all get him on the show? We went through pretty exhausting casting sessions, very secretive casting sessions, because we even changed the name um, of the character so that no one actually knew who they were auditioning for. Um, we actually used Alex as the name that they were auditioning for, hmm. um, just because we didn't want Nicholas to get leaked, because if that information got leaked, it ruined the entire finale. So we, I was extremely oh, yeah. careful to make sure that what didn't happen. And uh, we had a whole bunch of auditions, and uh, he... He was the one that that really made his mark with me, and uh, he he was awesome. Nailed up the just about every part that we gave him. Yeah, he was it's great. A, it's a lot of dialogue for somebody who's like the target is like fifteen, sixteen years old. You know, mm-hmm. oh, absolutely. And so, okay, so he's not the inspiration for the character Robbins, then. Oh no no no! I no, had no, this no. idea that maybe it was family or something. I didn't know. No no no! Anthony Robbins, he got his name from because. Uh, Tony Ray is Anthony, so I wanted to use his first name in there just for fun. And Robbins was just, it's a very common last name that I saw in the military. I was like, oh, yeah, I want Robbins. Robbins sounds good. Nice full last name. Were there any other names inspired by somebody in your life? You mentioned Nicholas was a Blair's grandfather, I believe. Yeah. He's actually a son. Uh, and Nicholas and CJ are the names of our hypothetical children that we don't have yet. <laughs> yes, that's so cool. Um, but yeah, no, actually every single character has some sort of tie into some inspiration. Uh, Kelly is after my aunt Kelly. Um, let's see here. Angel was named after Angel Tenuto, an actual real mob. Uh, uh, basically Angel's father was also Angel Tenuto. So the actual, so Angel's actually Angel Tenuto Jr. Um, his father was senior and his father was... Uh, given the nickname Angel of Death, he was actually uh, uh, an enforcer. Um, Death. Yeah, so he, an actual, it's based off of a real person, real life, spelling slightly changed just to, to hide. Um, if anybody says, by the way, that any of the characters are based off of people in real life, I give the, the 
stereotypical thing they put on the films. None of these are actually <laughs> fictitious, blah, 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 coincidental. Purely coincidental. Yeah, they, they they merely inspired a couple, you know, just the name or blah, 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 just whatever legal thing they want to tell them right. to make it work. Um, Bert Scott, um, I believe Bert's name accidentally came from Bert from Tremors. Um, <laughs> I don't think that was intentional. And then later on I saw it, I was like, I probably got inspired by that because I tend to like call out things in my head and make associations. I forget where they came from. So that's probably where they came from accidentally. Um, hilarious. Saul and Michael are, they're both biblical names, but they're not exactly, they're not inspired by the characters in the, the biblical reference. Um, let's see here. Uh, Pegs. Um, not so much with Pegs. Uh, Lizzie, Elizabeth. No, nah, I can't really think of anybody else. Can you? Off the top of my head. Special Ryan. names? Yeah. Michael Cross is biblical. Yeah, Michael Cross is obviously bi- biblical. Um, Angel is biblical. No, Angel was, yeah, I already mentioned that one. Though. I think that's pretty much it. There, there might be a couple here and there, but uh, I can't think of them quick enough to, you know, we'd be here all night. Okay. Uh, so I'll go ahead and get my sleeping bag out and... <laughs> but every character has some sort of inspiration or draw that I have from from real life, whether it's their name or somebody else. Like obviously, Bert was my dad, and um, uh, Angel was like somebody that I was a lieutenant off of uh, in real life. Um, Puck was uh, is sort of like the Puck in real life, but completely different. Also, at the same time, he's more of a more or less a. Kind of, sort of, a basis off of uh, somebody that might have done training with, but I'll leave it at that. Right. Okay. Uh, okay, on to the hidden stuff section. Can you think of any, like, big hidden things that no one has found that you just, like, hidden in there? I don't know if, if it's a callback to something or just an, a joke that you thought you would hide in there and nobody would see? Um... Let's see here. The, the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is that the little ones were actually in Chapter 10 um, in the arena. I think we it's come up on the forums once or twice, but if somebody hasn't heard it, go back and listen. You can actually hear the little ones as far back as there. The baby little ones crying while Angel and Riley are in the pile, right? Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, that, that, was, uh, that was a plant for that. Um, I think most of them have come out, and most of them we've, we've discussed here or there. Okay, and this, uh, is there anything that you hid intentionally that you hoped or thought would never be found? Like um, tiny things even, just... Let's see here. Oh, some of the dialogue of the zombies is intentionally made very hard to interpret sometimes. Um, matter of fact, there is an entire zombie language that I developed for the series that most people would never be able to decode or interpret, but I have a cheat sheet that tells me exactly all the phenomes for all the words if they're trying to communicate an idea in a literal sense, like actually verbally talking. Um, so when Randy is giving commands around Datu, the first time he says it, he says it in their native tongue, but when Datu recalls it, it is in English because Datu can actually start to interpret some of the things they're saying because his brain is already starting to rewire, and that's what's causing him pain. That is wild. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Let's see. Uh, we talked about the album art already, and then, and the crows. So moving along. One second. I'm gonna... 
Okay, an Xbox friend of mine who Adam and I introduced to We're Live while streaming on Twitch a while back, he asked me a question in a DM, um, so I'm not going to use his name. I don't know if he wanted me to like do it or whatever, but he asked if any of the future stories would feature Nicholas, and I told him, no, that's still the case, right? Tales of We're Live will not focus on Nicholas, and that's pretty much all I'll say. Um, is there any more story after Nicholas? It matter we get to be seen. Um, I don't really talk about it much because that would probably be a big, big thing. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely not something that I'm. It's not the next series that I'm working on. And he was he was pretty bummed about it, and I could see why because he's about that same age, and there's a lot of storytelling potential there, especially for like a young teenage boy who could picture this other teenage boy who's been raised, you know, in the zombie apocalypse, and then is entering, you know, kind of a military, and just the adventures he could go on would be kind of cool. Yeah. No. I I definitely um, a lot of that I've given a lot of thought to. Um, and the epilogue, in a lot of ways, if you were to look at it, there's a lot of beginnings rather than endings. But it's also what epilogues, to me, should be, is the start of a new page, a new chapter, rather than it being just the end of what was previous. I see, I see. And so you, in, you answered this already. You were the teacher in the finale. Were you anyone else? Oh, boy. Um, I think the total count was like 24 different characters. In the finale? Throughout, throughout the series. Okay. 24, um, wow. Something like that. Cause it, and that's, that's like, I, I think I could name a couple of them. One of them was Ink. Uh, people don't know that one, but I'm the one who does It's Paul and all the, I'm the, the guy who's dying at the end. Um, <laughs> let's see here. I did some of Randy's um, just because uh, he, I, we did it before he was cast. Um, I'm Todd, um, and uh, I'm a lot of background characters here or there. Like, I'm all over the place. I'll be a soldier. I'll be a mauler. I'll be a, um, a colonist. I'll be a Coloradan. You know, just I'm all over the place. Like, <laughs> if I ever need, like, a background voice to throw in there, it's usually mine. Um, right, but the right, only right. true character, I'd say, is the teacher with actually lines. <laughs> <laughs> and the zombie call and responses? Uh, that Yeah, that's me, too. Um, that's my Tupperware container under my chin. <laughs> okay. Oh, and the behemoths. Yeah. All the behemoths are pretty much me too. Oh wow! So all the <gasps> oh, that's all me. <laughs> okay, so if we're live as ever a live action show or movie. Would you want to make a cameo? Oh hell yes! Oh hell yeah! That's that's, <laughs> that's without a that's without a uh, without a thought. That's I'd great. have to be in there some way. I'd love to be the teacher. I think that would be like the ultimate. Like even if I'm in the background, I don't give me any lines, but I'm the guy that's front of the class. That would be cool. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, hey, you know, he's there, here, and there. Oh, another thing I was going to say. Yeah. Doing the behemoths, I just thought about this. This might be a little fun fact. I almost passed out doing it once. Because <laughs> um, I was just, I was sucking down my chin and doing it into the Tupperware container. And just like, um, I was not really breathing in. I was just breathing out. And I almost went down. <laughs> wow. And I think I was by myself on the Foley stage. So that would not have been good. No. I would have been fine, but it, yeah. <laughs> you could have captured that. That could have been somebody dying. The, the, it would have been recording. I would have known how long it would have been out, too. It would be like, oh, yeah, I see, this is where I passed out, and this is where I woke up. <laughs> That's the sound of somebody <laughs> passing out. <laughs> oh, I will say, there's another really cool fact. I don't know if this I've ever said it, but I, since this is my last Q&A, I want to put it in here. Like This is like the archive of all Please the do, dumb stuff. Um, Nicholas, uh, when he... Uh, is a baby. That's my nephew. I think I've already told you that. 
But the actual first time you, you hear him over the radio is actually when my nephew was born in the delivery room. So it's at age zero hmm. for the actor. And I don't, think, zero. I don't think there's very many productions that could say they've had the baby there on the day it's been born. Sometimes yeah. the day after. There, hasn't, there probably hasn't been a younger actor. Uh, no. Voice actor for sure. Yeah, baby <laughs> zero. Like minutes. Baby zero. Barely <laughs> minutes, you know. <laughs> That's so awesome. Let's see. Okay. Uh, okay. So on the Snark Alex, I was listening, and they mentioned, you know, what Solid said. You know, you were right, Michael. Uh, do you know what it was that Ink was creating? And are you glad about me being right? And it was the hybrid little one behemoths. Uh, no, it's not a hybrid. Oh uh, gosh! <laughs> but I will Probably tell you this much: it's awesome. Is that's it? all I can say. Like, <laughs> I I came up with the details of that one, and I was actually bummed that it didn't get to be in a series. But um, uh, for good intention, it, it's it's supposed to. It was taken away. Like to introduce something that new at the very end is like I was saying there was not something uh, that's properly done. You don't have enough time to establish it. It's like just it, something that new at the end doesn't work. It never does. Can you point us in the direction of it being another escalation, you know, and something to do with the helicopter and all that? Oh, the helicopter? No, it has nothing to do with the helicopter. It's not a flying zombie. That's That would be stupid. Or, or a counter to it, rather. Um. Oh, a counter to the helicopter? Yes. Um... No, I wouldn't say so. This, the helicopter thing is left over from when uh, Ink was basically trying to see where they went. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's a call out to that. But the details on it, I that's about all I can share. There, okay. there's, there's a lot. I flushed out a lot of the details of what it is, um, and all I'm giving you guys is basically a seed. You know it's there. If I grow it into something, you'll, you'll know later maybe. But <laughs> whatever it is, it's, it's, it, it's, it was stopped. So, all right. Oh, oh, I do have a. I left a fan question in here somehow. Emma on Twitter, she says, uh, "Will you be writing the songs for the musical?" What's your next question? <laughs> oh, no, and also, call. Jesus. <laughs> and General Lee uh, mentions, uh, "Thanks for reminding on this." So about the zombie factions, how we thought, or at least I thought at one point it might have been Randy versus Ink. Was there any kind of zombie faction stuff going on? Um, oh, you mean like there's two sides? Right, how we got the little ones eating, you know, oh, yeah, one yeah, of the guys. Um, there, are, there are free roamers out there who, who don't really cooperate with ink. So I would say, yeah, that's actually probably a, a very valid point. Is There's th- the ones who follow and those who don't. So, yes, there's, there's that. Hmm. And the one that the little one ate was not one of our followers. Here's the thing. Little ones kind of do their own thing sometimes, too, just like the behemoths. And so if it was hungry enough, it could have just been like, oh, cool, there's lunch. Yeah, they're like dragons. Yeah, if you get enough food. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Well, I can I was like, for some reason, I was like, oh, yeah, just like real life. And I was like, oh. Right. <laughs> so uh, here's my last question for, uh, last scripted question. Why do you think there aren't, more good audio dramas out there right now. It's expensive and hard. That's that's all it is. Like um, the 
I love the, the other drama, uh, the dramas that are out there, the ones that are made by fans, and there's some that are made by, uh, by the way, the one that Lit made was awesome, if you haven't heard it. It was really, yeah, really, really, really good. Well done. Um, I was very, very impressed with how, how well he did that. Um, the reason why I don't think there's very many out there is because, uh, and here's one of the hard parts, and is you have to have a lot of people who are voice actors, and they all have to sell it. Um, and that's one of the things that's been hard for us is you have to have a consistent large cast. And if one person like really blows it, it could shatter the image of what your, your story you're telling. So you have to have that level of commitment of the actors all the way through. We've had like 90, 90 different actors uh, on our show alone and so many different voices that it's like we are very lucky because we live in the heart of L.A., lots of actors. We have a lot of to choose from. But somebody who gets a passion for audio dramas, they got to have a good recording space. They got to have good microphones. They have to have somebody with the technical knowledge to be able to do simultaneous voice recording. Like we do six voices at a time uh, on six different mics. That's there's a lot that goes on between you know just the science of, of the technology to how to do that. Of oh the mics have to be pointed this direction. You have to make sure they have pop screeners. Voice breath has to go past the mic in the direction from the side and um, and like all the techniques of doing it. It's it's massive, and I will say that um, it's had I not had because I'm an engineer by trade. If I didn't have the technical background and also creative background, it would be near impossible to make something like this because you have to have so much um, resources and technology, and uh, just to get this thing off the ground, that it's it's hard to do. And then so you have some people who are creating, who's just the writers, and then some people who just want to be a director and. You have to do everything or be able to be in every position in the production. And that's hard. It's very, very hard. And um, it's costly. And um, like the, I think I've said this once is um, if this production was to get produced by the BBC, it cost $1.4 million. Um, and that's like astronomical. So if that's, then that's the actual cost if we didn't cut corners of labor and equipment ourselves. Or those 10,000 hours you put in. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, that's what. Well, that's the one point four million counts that. But uh, yeah, so it's hard. It's it's not easy, and um, uh, like the we're alive has not made enough money for us to be able to be able to live. So you got to do that on top of your full time job, mm -hmm. and most people would go crazy. And it's taken, and that's one of the things where it's like it's I'm in. You know, high heaven right now because it's basically like a break from having two jobs back to one. It's it's pretty incredible, but I will be soon be getting back on the horse. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't imagine spinning it back up like that after getting a taste of freedom for a little while. <laughs> well, I will Free. say this much: uh, we're doing things different this time around, and that one of the things with Tales we're alive. We won't have the rigorous production schedule of every week. It's going to be at our pace rather than it being at somebody else's pace. So we could be finished with like uh, the story and then like wait to progressively release it. And you know, we, we have a lot of time to work with rather than like because we put a schedule out there for We're Alive and we stick to that schedule. We've never missed a deadline yeah. and we've been consistent. And that's that's hard. Fortunately, we wouldn't have to do that with this. Right. Well, Casey, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us. We've been at it over two hours, and you're still answering these questions very patiently. <laughs> I love I love talking about this stuff because, um, as you can see, all the, a lot of this stuff was thought out, and there's answers to pretty much everything, which is something that I'd like to have go forward with every series is, hey, flush your ideas out. 
You know, you have a writing team. How you don't have excuses. Don't be uh, in, inaccessible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in, in, accessible and accountable. Like some writers are like they don't think that they are accountable for the answers that they have to get fans. Um, but you're a writer. You should know these answers. If you don't, that means you didn't figure them out. That means yeah. <laughs> Come at the story from all directions, and you'll find it's much easier to tell. That's right. Well, Redbeard, do you got anything else? I do not. <laughs> I'm tired. I know. I kept you guys up. It's much much earlier here in the, the West Coast. Well, uh, once again, thank you. Uh, congratulations on just a marvelous series. And, I mean, it's amazing. I can't wait to talk more about it and at length and to gush. I don't, I don't want to gush too much now because we, we have a lot of gushing to do. And all I that. will say this much. We'll be having many future conversations. I hope so. Because I, I have a feeling that whatever I'm working on next, you guys will be right in there. Yeah. Because it, it it's the, the big project that I'm working on that I'm, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about even just because um, I yeah, my player will attest. It's, it's very real. Um, I'm so excited to tell it. And it is a lot of, it's more mysteries and things. And um, it's very, it's a very cool story. Um, and I'm so excited to tell it. And uh, I, I have a feeling that you, if it's a weekly or, or put out progressively, that you guys will begin to theorizing just like every other fan. Um, and by that time, hopefully, we're alive. We'll have grown so big that like you'll have a hundred thousand fans on the site commenting on the forum, and it just goes crazy. <laughs> yes, I hope so. And you're referring to the not we're alive creation, right? Correct. Okay. The mysterious next series. Mysterious new project with officers and contractors. Officers and contractors. <laughs> I unfortunately think that that's going to be the um, the nickname for it. I wonder, should I give them the title? The series? No. No? no. Oh, not so no. matter of factly. It should hurt you I a little bit. I was a fan of Blair. Okay. All right. I'll put. I'll, I will. No, because you might change the title. I could. I don't think I'm going to actually. No. You sh- You might. Okay. I might. Too. I might. Because the title is. There's already something that exists with that title. Is there? I don't think so. With, for this? No, 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 no. That's not the title. For... I already came up with the alternative title. The new one. You did? Yeah. Here, I'll write it down. <laughs> And plus, I mean, Redbeard, you can get this out of me. You can tell us. I mean, we'll, <laughs> you know, we'll, 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 oh, we'll tell yeah. anybody. Don't tell them it. Yeah, it's too early. It's too early. It is too early. Yeah. But like the suspense. I will give you a hint. Not really a, so much of a hint, but um, you might have already seen some element of it already in some sort of artwork, picture, or something over the past five years. Right. And it might not even have been... Uh, Something involved with We're Alive. Because I, I actually hit, it's a little bit of a hint somewhere in the past productions. Um, not so much production, somewhere in the last five years. That's all oh. I'll say. Oh. Okay, and it's it's not going to be part of the Wayland verse, is it? What's Wayland verse? What's all of your <laughs> creations would fit in the same universe? Uh, whatever it is, is whatever it is. Um, I don't know if it has any ties to anything. Okay, so it wouldn't, yeah, We're Alive wouldn't be following this. Even though there would be no similar stories, it's very, very different from what Where Alive is. Um, so I, you'll have to wait and see what it is. I think you'll like where it's going, but it's very, very different. Okay. I wanted to hurt Blair more though. Whenever she says no, she was just like, no, <laughs> no. <way." laughs> well, she's you know, uh, and Gra- oh, Grayson's even worse. Grayson's like, no, you don't, no, do not, do not tell him it's a sci-fi. Do not tell him it's a sci-fi because he's like. 
because he knows that I, I get a little like loose with how I talk about things with certain people. Um, so he's always like, be very careful what you say. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Sci-fi is very wide open. It is. I it really no is. clue what it could be. Um, yeah. And, uh, but I, yeah, it's, it's really good. Like I'm, I'm coming up with new stuff for it like daily, constantly flushing out new character arcs and things like that. And it's just, it's so exciting. So exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to it more than Tales of We're Alive, sadly. Um, yeah, you're getting me excited about it. I wish it was. I wish I knew when it was coming out, and I know you don't have a date. No, I don't. It, it, well, it's long form versus short. Excuse me. It's long form versus short form. Long form is so much more fun to tell. That's what we're live was long form. Where short form is just like a short film, and you know, it's just you don't get to flush out as much, uh, and really get to glob onto mysteries and give cliffhangers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like I think the cliffhangers is part of what makes the series really come to life. You think we uh, hear it before Batman v Superman? No. <laughs> Sadly, no. Oh, yeah. That's well, 2016? Yeah, May, May, June 2016. Wow, that's that movie's going to bomb so bad. No, um, it is not. It's going no, okay, to so it's, it's not, it may not gonna It may not bomb, but I have a feeling it's going to be bad. It's, it's got Wonder Woman in it, Blair. What? Wonder Woman's in it. But it's made by DC, and DC's got an uphill battle. Yes, they do. They're not owned by Disney, unfortunately. No, Marvel, I mean, I just saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Marvel knows what they're doing. Guardians of the Galaxy yes. wasn't perfect, but they know how to tell a story. And they know Disney how to have fun. knows how to make a movie quickly and amazingly with speed and efficiency, you know? They say you can't have good, quick, and cheap. Well, they don't need cheap, but... <laughs> well, no, Guardians of the Galaxy was in development for a long time. And it's, that's, I wouldn't say Disney, it's Marvel Studios. They, they yeah. actually have a, a movie division that handles all this stuff. Disney just like signs the checks, so I. It's definitely they got good people behind it. Yeah, I'm I'm jealous of the way they can put out great content like that. Yeah, it's fairly they they have they what they do is they plan it meticulously in advance, and it's the first time they're actually. Um, and I I can really respect Marvel doing this, and this is my philosophy too: is plan ahead. The further you plan ahead for something, the easier it will be in the end. Mm-hmm. It's just like the, the stories that can be written backwards and forwards. You have to be able to like know what you're talking about. Yeah, but they I mean they had no idea with with Iron Man one that this was you know going to lead into all that it did. But that's they, true. They really they were able to adapt and just build it into this massive universe. And Robert Downey Jr. is now the you know most expensive actor in Hollywood. That's true. Well, there's also the um, uh, there are some movies that like that I watched that like the Incredible Hulk. That they did the uh, the one that had Robert not Robert Downey Jr. but um Edward uh, Norton yeah Edward Norton they planted stuff for him to have sequels and stuff that never actually happened so there there was a little bit of loose ends but now it's like they're meticulously interweaving <sighs> he timelines to make sense he wasn't the only green superhero that they planted uh, seeds for sequels <laughs> yep oh you mean the Green Lantern yes no. with Sinestro at the end uh, yeah that movie's never gonna see light of day also I like the I heard you call out. Asriel, recent on the Bane uh, movies, Drive Home, whatever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Asriel, I was like, oh, I, he knows who Asriel is. I had never read the storyline, but I I remember him when I was reading Superman because he was in all the the promos. Yeah, I I, I read the Nightfall series, John Paul Valley or whatever. I haven't read it. It's one of those ones that I don't want to read because I I know it's probably not as good as what I imagine. Well, it's that it goes back to the days when I used to read comic books. I don't do that anymore just because. Um, I feel that there's no canon left in the worlds at all. 
Like everyone's writing some different universe and multiverse and blah, blah, blah. Nothing that they hold in one comic actually ever lasts. There's a really great video uh, on YouTube that I think everybody should watch. It's called um, The Death of Superman, and it's almost like The Death of Comics. It's the guy. Max Landis, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible because it, it shows the reason why I don't like comic books anymore. It's because they don't hold themselves true. There's no canon left, and they just continually reboot. And uh, when you, when death is off the table as a consequence, then, then nothing means anything. There's no you can do whatever you want, and nothing matters. Well, and so your your listeners and people who are reading it, I feel get cheated. That's just my philosophy. Some people disagree, but yeah, I disagree. Uh, Max, he he, I mean, he's a Superman fan, but the thing is with that era. Of especially Superman, it holds the continuity from 1986 to about 2006. Now, from about 98-ish on, it gets a little bit wonky. But from 86 through the death, it holds a very tight continuity. Way better than anything that's out now. But Yeah. No, no, I agree. I agree. But then after that, see, the problem is... Well, see, he, he died in 92, and it maintained a very tight continuity for years following. But it still, like, in the end got messed up, right? I mean, no, they, they just did the thing. Like, like you said, they reboot. They eventually make so many different universes and everything gets so mixed up, they have to, like, okay, we killed all the universes, multiverses, except for one or two. Yeah. And See, then that's what they drives me nuts. create yeah. the multiverse again. <laughs> that, that drives me, because it's like, yeah, the, part, the, re, the reason why there's a problem for this is because there's no authors anymore that hold the, the rights to their characters. Superman is owned by a company, not an author. Yeah, and they will continue to uh, bastardize whatever intellectual property they have to to make money. Mm-hmm. They don't care about the the characters anymore, um, and they will retell a story over and over and over to death because there's no. That's just what they do. So yeah, I suppose I've changed my thinking when it comes to like the big names, like Superman, Batman, all them, because it's like the movies. They do reboot. I just look at it as a different story to tell. Yeah, and well, if- there is no real canon. There's a canon for a year or two. Maybe a few years if you're lucky, mm-hmm. and then it's gonna it's gonna change up. Like Jeff Johns just took over Superman. He's one of the few you know big authors left that's at DC. Yeah. So I mean, he's, I he's gonna be big for a little while, but that's it. I yeah, they they kind of ruined me for comics for a while, and I'm just kind of like, eh, you guys do your things. And I actually think that the movies are great because they hold the canon. Like all the Marvel series, like currently, even the one that Ang Lee did, they actually even like. Pulled that in and said, you know, what, we'll let this let this be part of the universe, and they actually like it works, and it's it's not a real uh, right. it's not a weird side thing. It if you forget all the old Spider-Man, the X-Men's not in it. The old well, stuff from the '90s, which was garbage. X-Men they fixed actually. X one two. Well, I'm three. saying they're not they're not together because they're different companies. They're splintered. Yes, that's that's true. They are splintered. Um, anything under the Marvel umbrella is uniform and works. The Spider-Man, Spider-Man actually is in my black column of, of bad things. The new one or all of it? Um, well, that's the thing. Is like, oh, the first Sam Raimi and the second Sam Raimi was good. And then the third one was atrocious. And then the new one was awful. And then the one the most recently I haven't seen yet. So, um, yeah, I will get around to it eventually. But they, I just don't like what they've done with the series. They just, it seems like they don't know how to tell a good story. That's just yeah. my opinion, though. Right. No, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's definitely, you could, you'll probably definitely tear it apart <laughs> if you do uh, drive home, but yeah. I'm going to jump in here and say I'm out. All right, yeah. man. <laughs> well, actually, I probably should go too, so we can wrap things up. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Casey.
Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, anything comes up, uh, I'll be in my little cave for a while, and uh, I'll see you guys when I reemerge. Uh, I'll always actually be accessible, so if you need to go home, you can find. But yes. I'm just, I'm kind of like taking a break from like the forums and things like that. Like I might come on here and there, just kind of let them be for a while, and really let myself take a break because I've really spent too much time in the project, and I kind of need to spend some more time with the wife and life. I understand completely, and yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm glad you're going to get a chance to do that. <laughs> It's going to be great. All, All right. right. I will take care, guys. Have a great night. You too. Good you night. Too. All right. Good night. Thanks for listening to the We're Alive Fancast. If you would like to send feedback to the show, you can email us at we'realive at mickred.com, and we will read your mail on the show. We want to know what you think about We're Alive each week. Tweet us or email us your theories and reactions to that week's show. You can tweet us at, at WAFancast. Visit our website at mickred.com. Mickred is always spelled M-I-C-K-R-E-D. You can find the We're Alive Fancast on Facebook. Just search We're Alive Fancast. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod for letting us use his song Ghost Apocalypse in this podcast. This has been a Mickred production. I'm talking to Al. Oh, well, sorry. My, <laughs> my hologram from the future. <laughs> Quantum leap references. That's awesome. <laughs> um, is an obvious, like, you know, it's supposed to mean something that you, obviously the hope is, is buried, is gone. It's um, crippled in a way. Hope is blind is, uh, cut all my ramblings out there. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hey, Casey. How you guys doing? Doing good. How you doing? Ah, not too bad. This is the last interview I think I'm going to do for We're Alive. Wow. What? Yeah. Yeah, I saw you put the final Q&A on that tweet. I was like, wait a second. Yeah, I don't really <laughs> plan on doing any more. Yeah, I decided, uh, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm kind of done with uh, doing any more of these interviews. Because I, I think you guys are the last ones that requested it. And I'm like, okay, after this, I'd be good to take a break and kind of step away. Yeah, we've been getting a lot of requests. To, like, you guys should go back from episode one and do something with Casey throughout all of it. I'm like, <laughs> I don't think you know what you're they asking. Wanted us to do, they wanted us to do a live commentary over the top of it. <laughs> I I would almost say the only thing that might be worth it is, like, maybe doing three chapters at a time. That is the most reasonable thing I've heard out of it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that way it's like, oh, okay, you do four per season, and that's not so bad. Yeah. And you cover every all the big stuff that may have been missed, like the plants and payoffs and things like that. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, I was thinking no, definitely no uh, no less than one chapter at a time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that would just be insane. <laughs> yeah, I... I the uh, that would be a good idea, and also like no recaps, just kind of just go in and get just get to the meat. That way, you don't have to like go through all the details. Yeah, just grabbing the big parts. Yeah, out of it. Because if we do that, we want to be done in time for you know tales from our life. <laughs> and the uh, the OCD I part. Even, I barely even started on like doing the the mockups for it. <laughs> that one, weirdly enough, my the next project is actually more further along than tales of we're alive. Yeah, you teased me so bad just now. I was watching the Snark Alex, and the second time you brought the binder out, you started going through it, and you're like, you're trying to find anything you could say that wouldn't give it away, but kind of just tease it, and then yeah. Blair whispered something in your ear. You're like, no, no, that's too much. Never mind. We're just not going to do anything. 
<laughs> and I was like, oh. I even hung up the phone with Redbeard because we're sitting here talking. Oh, well, let me see what I got here because uh, that's volume one of, I think, three. Oh, wow. Um, let's see here. Do I have anything that even, even remotely would be good enough? Um, let's see. Here. Actually, there's a, some of this is actually like uh, concepts to remember in like notes for screenwriting. Because um, like, what is the? There's nine story questions that you have to answer in every story. Uh, whose story is it? What does the protagonist want? What are the obstacles? What's at stake? What's the main tension? Hope versus fear? Life dream? Polarity and theme. That sounds like it probably is basic, and I don't think I've ever heard of it, but I would love to get that. I'm sure it's online places. Um, actually, some of this stuff is written by my professors who were um, my screenwriting teachers. The nine questions for storytelling? Yeah, I have another one of 21 trust questions to keep you on track. Hmm, What's really the hook of the movie? What genre and tone are you that? Well, I can go through all these if you want, but I don't think you're going to hear them all. <laughs> Not tonight, but definitely sometime. I mean, yeah, no, interesting I'm... stuff. A lot of stuff in here. Um, okay, so going into there's Act One, Act Two, because originally um, I actually wrote it was a film, uh, a whole self-contained film that I developed into a series because it was just there's so much in here, and I tried to rush certain themes inside there instead of actually making it more fun and exploring the characters. Um, so yeah, let's see here. Um, uh, the problem is, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that's, that's, I can't really say anything on. <laughs> um, oh, there's an officer that says, I can see it. And that's it. That's all oh, you get. Oh, yes. <laughs> An officer says, I can see it. An army officer, uh... Uh, this officer one says you have the right to remain silent. Oh wow! Yeah. So it sounds like we're in our Miranda environment. Jim says, and you wonder why the contractor quit. Hmm. Okay, so it's probably not prehistoric times. Okay, <laughs> yeah. um, so Redbeard uh, said he, yeah, pre- he pressed you. See, he said he pressed you on your story. Next story. And he said he even asked you point blank if it was time travel, and you wouldn't say yes or no. Oh no, it won't be time travel. Oh gosh. Oh no, time travel. And so I was thinking, yeah, like if it's that, you know, I'm hooked because Superman and time travel movies. That's just whoa. Well, the time travel. The thing about time travel is it kind of. Um, it's one of those concepts where if you have time travel, then nothing can have consequences of the actions you take. Like, if a character dies, if time travel is introduced, then you can reverse death, and then you take away the biggest obstacle on the road. So that's well, one there's of the always reasons why. Con- you. But there's always a consequence <laughs> for everything you revert to. There's, that's true. If you, if you play with the fate rules of that time will correct itself. If you save someone in this timeline, that other person, no, you can't save that person, if that makes sense. Or you the lose time, somebody the old else. time machine concept. Yeah, um, I think it would always have an abysmal outcome. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty well. That's why, like, my buddy and I. Uh, well, you know, Grayson. Why am I saying my buddy? Uh, we were <laughs> hey, watching, buddy. <laughs> we were watching. Um, what was it? Back to the Future. And there's a whole another Marty in this series that you don't ever meet. It's the Marty that, like, there's another Marty in another timeline that basically gets screwed over by the, Mar- the by Marty A. How's that? <laughs> um, okay, so you got you got to bear with me a little bit, and I might 
I'm trying to remember this correctly, but the Marty, there's a Marty that he witnesses go back to 1985, but that Marty himself had a very different life than the Marty that, that had the other life previous. So when he comes back to the alternate timeline where life is good, we're talking about the first one, where did that Marty go that was sent back? Because that Marty would have a totally different mission than that one. That's, that's Not really, good. because yeah, he saw yeah. a duck get shot and thought he was dead. That's true. That is true. But that Marty would be different because he grew up in a lifestyle that was very like money-driven and things like that. Like, his parents were rich. That Marty had rich parents. So it would be completely different. So that Marty oh, has to be separate. Okay, yeah. He got snuffed out of existence and replaced. Basically, yeah, I think he disappeared. I think that Marty might have, like, once he went back in time, may have disappeared uh, completely. Or he could have gone on a completely different tangent. I don't know. What you didn't see was Marty coming back and killing himself. <laughs> there's some weird stuff like that actually uh, remember when Biff goes back to his own time and starts to disappear because apparently uh, his wife shot him so there's some weird like how long does it take for time to catch up to the timeline that you're in so to speak it's it's kind of there's there's some whenever you're dealing with time travel there's always going to be like exceptions to rules that we can't really figure out and I'm like eh not worth it yeah <laughs> I have a better story to tell. I'd, I'd rather tell a story with characters and themes that are massive and huge um, and arcs that are just, like, really amazing rather than it being just uh, a concept of plot, uh, time, and things like that. Well, whatever it is, I, I'm probably going to be hooked. Yeah. It, it is science fiction, though. It definitely is science fiction. Um, and, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all I can say. And there's officers and contractors. <laughs> And they can see things. So we have the electromagnetic radiation in this universe. Kind of? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, that's, that's all light and radio waves, you know? Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe it's like x-ray eyes. I don't know. That's still electromagnetic radiation. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> all right. Let's, all right. We're let's... ready to, what do, you, what do you say? Skin this cat or goat or whatever? Uh, there's a lot of different sayings. <laughs> yeah. You hold the cat head. Right. <laughs> I don't even know. Did we start? I don't I don't yeah, even know. Yeah, sure. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do that, but we'll start. <laughs>